I think a lot about the point of creativity, right? What is the point yeah. of creativity? It's synthesizing something new out mm -hmm. of lived human experiences and the other art that you've seen. Yeah. That is the one thing the model, a large neural language learning network model cannot actually do. Welcome to what is not only the last episode of Tech Won't Save Us for the year, but also episode 200 of the podcast. I did not plan that. It was a total surprise to me when I looked at the episode number and saw that actually the last episode of the year was also going to be like a pretty notable milestone. So that's fantastic. Thanks so much for all of your support this year, for listening to the show, for sharing it with your friends. The show would be nothing without the support of listeners like you. And of course, without the support of our supporters over on patreon.com. And you know, if you didn't hear it last week, you still have time to get in on our end of year giveaway where we have five signed copies of Joanne McNeil's book, Wrong Way. You might remember our interview with her from just a few weeks ago and five signed copies of my book, Road to Nowhere. So if you become a Patreon supporter before the end of the year, you will be entered into a draw for one of those books. You know, you get a chance to get one of those signed books. You know, you get a chance at a little prize and you get to support the work that goes into making the show as well. So if you haven't signed up yet, consider going over to patreon.com slash tech won't save us in order to do it. If you are an existing supporter, of course, just go check Patreon and there will be instructions there for how you can get in on the giveaway as well. So with all that said, I hope that you are enjoying the holidays and are looking forward to, you know, a good new year celebration as we head into 2024. To end off the year like we did last year, I wanted to, you know, do something a little bit different. Instead of just having a conversation with a guest as we usually do, which is, you know, fantastic, which is great. You all love that. I wanted to, you know, have a few people on to discuss the year in tech, to discuss, you know, some of the people we liked and didn't particularly like in the industry and to talk about, you know, what we are looking ahead to in 2024. So this is a recording of a live stream that we did back on December 17th for Patreon supporters. But, you know, I wanted to make sure that you could all hear it because our guests had some fantastic insights. And of course, those guests are Gita Jackson, a journalist and co-founder of Aftermath, which is a new video game journalism website. Molly White, who you all know as the creator of Web3 is going just great and who is getting started on TikTok, so you should all go follow her. And Aaron Thorpe, who might be new to you, but he is the co-host of Everybody Loves Communism, a podcast. And his Twitter account, Afrocosmist, is just fantastic because he posts a bunch of cool science fiction illustrations and graphics and things like that. So I highly recommend checking it out. Obviously, this episode is quite a bit longer than the usual Tech Won't Save Us episode because, you know, we went on and we talked for a little while. So I don't see the need to introduce it much more other than to note that when we do get into talking about the worst person in tech, this bracket that uh, we run every year over on, you know, our various social media accounts, the results are obviously not coming in live at the time that you hear this. And so you might already know the winner, but we still have a good discussion about the people who were involved and our two finalists. I will also put a link in the show notes to where you can see some of the images that we discuss in that part of the episode, because I don't know, they're pretty funny images of uh, Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos in some cases. So you might enjoy them. So if you can give us a five-star review on the podcast platform of your choice and, you know, make sure to share the show with any friends or colleagues who you think would learn from it, that would be most appreciated. 
But the most important thing, if you want to support the work that goes into making the show every week and get in on our giveaway for five copies of Joanne McNeil's Wrong Way and five copies of my book, Road to Nowhere, is to go over to patreon.com slash us and support the work that goes into making the show every single week. So thanks so much, enjoy the new year, and we'll see you on the other side of it in 2024. Now enjoy our wrap-up of the past year in tech. Hello, everyone. Welcome to our year-end live stream. Hopefully you can hear me. I have a little bit of a cold, but that's okay. Some people reached out to me the last episode of the Elon Musk on Mass series. They were like, did you have a cold in that one? I was like, yeah, I, I absolutely did. You caught that. So, you know, it's been a wild year in the tech industry, 2023. As you all know, I don't need to tell you that. You've been following along on the show and uh, hearing all the crazy things. I'm sure you've been reading it as well. And we have three fantastic guests today on the live stream to go through all of that with us. Someone's already caught my <laughs> holiday sweater. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll introduce our pal on, on my sweater in just a minute. <laughs> but you know, before we get into it, obviously, you know, this is a live stream for the patrons. It will go out to everyone else later this month as you know, the audio form. Big thank you to your support for the show, of course. You know, without your support, it wouldn't be possible to do all of this stuff, to have this live stream, to do the show every week, to do the premium episodes we've been doing, the Elon Musk series, all the fun things. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure there'll be so much more in the new year. So, you know, the plan is I'm going to bring in our guests in just a second. We're going to talk about, you know, the year in tech. We're going to talk about some bigger topics that we want to dive into. And then, you know, around 5.30 Eastern time in about an hour and a half, we'll be talking about the worst person in tech, this contest that we've been running over on the social medias and, you know, uh, controversially on, on Google Forms because it's free and didn't cost a lot of money for me to use in order to uh, do uh, a bracket that way. But yeah, so that's going to close it around in, in about an hour and a half. And then we'll talk about who's the winner. You'll hear it first before anybody else. Um, and then, of course, I'll post it on social media once the live stream. And of course, stay tuned to the end because, you know, once we kind of make that announcement, there's also something a little fun for all of you guys that you might be happy to hear about as we start to to close off the year. So, you know, a little foreshadow, a little tease there. So make sure to stick around. So with that, I think we're going to start by bringing in some guests. And we're going to start with our returning guest, Gita Jackson. Welcome back to the show. You're a journalist, co-founder of Aftermath, this fantastic new games journalism website. I hope I'm, you know, talking about that properly. <laughs> you know, wh whose work is so good, it's always getting plagiarized out there. How are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm doing fantastically. I really am. I was watching The New Girl with my husband, and now I'm joining uh, you on a wonderful live stream. Show. <laughs> it's a great television show, actually. I was a real yeah. hater about it. But yes, as you mentioned, I, I've ended my year with a plagiarism scandal, which I was not expecting to have happen to me. Um, <laughs> but I, I made it out the other side. That person's obliterated their social media presence. So who's to say who won? <laughs> You're the winner on that one. You, know? <laughs> you, you might have had a little piece plagiarized here and there, but listen, you, know. you destroyed somebody. So That's you true. Know. That's true. Yeah, we love to hear that. <laughs> if you love, want to support a website where people uh, never plagiarize anything, you could go to aftermath.site slash products where you can subscribe and help us support ourselves in a 100% reader-supported website. It's uh, a lovely thing to have done. I can't believe how many people are so excited for it. And I'm so happy that I am own my own business with my friends. I love it. I'm excited for it. Um, yeah. You know, and I've been reading since it came out. Very excited. I... I don't know if I hit the subscribe button. If I didn't, I'm going to change that once we ah. get off this live stream. Well, and you, you should all much. follow me over there to do it, of course. <laughs> um, yeah. 
And and I feel like this is part of how would you say like a, a wider shift? You know, obviously it's been a terrible year in media, but we've seen a number of people like you kind of going off and starting their own thing. Four hundred four media, the folks over yeah. at Remap. You know, yeah. this is pretty exciting. Yeah, no, it's fascinating to see. Like, I feel less like we're making an extremely risky move and more like I'm joining a wave of the shifting of how journalism is produced. You know, it, all of us have stories. I know all the guys at all those websites. We all have a story about trying to report something and being unable to because of the business model, right? Because we are running, working at an ad supported business where we have to or someone else has to please the advertisers and we're not supposed to be so adversarial. But it's incredible when you start writing and you realize that's not a problem anymore, just how much more creative and how much more interesting your stories get. So I think everybody at 404 is doing amazing work. Everyone at Remap is doing incredible work. Everyone at Defector is obviously our biggest inspiration and they made like $3 million, which is wild. I think I think you should aspire for that. You know, yeah, uh, we need to know, make that happen for you. <laughs> I, thank you very much. I would love yeah. that. <laughs> love that and me. I would just say we already got some people in the chat here. Nicholas Miller just subscribed oh, to Aftermath. You. Thank Nicholas you, Nicholas. Miller, like the, from the new girl. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. <Awesome. laughs> All right, Gita. Do you have a holiday sweater for us? I mean, this is about as holiday as I get. Right. <laughs> you know, I have a. It's a matching sweatsuit outfit that I actually have. <laughs> And I like I to think that. this is, you know, this is what Shinji would be wearing around the holidays. This is is a a matching Evangelion sweatsuit in the unit 01 colors. So <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Very cozy, which is it's, what we all yeah. want this time. Exactly. Of year. <laughs> all right. Next guest, you will uh, be very familiar with her. She's been on the podcast a number of times. Molly White, welcome to our live stream. Very happy to have Hello. you. <laughs> so happy to be here. <laughs> yeah, you know, you are obviously the creator of Web3 is going just great. And it is not doing that at all, uh, which we are very happy to see. Um, and of course, you know, you're our resident future TikTok star. You've just gotten started. <laughs> Everyone should go subscribe. What's your TikTok handle? I'm sure it's the same as the uh, rest. It's the same. It's Molly0XFFF. There you go. You all need to go subscribe on TikTok. If I was at all technically savvy, I would have the URL ready to go, but I do not have that. So maybe I'll grab it in just a second. <laughs> Molly, how's everything going? How's the year been? Oh, it's been a year. <laughs> it has been a year. <laughs> uh, no, the year's been good. The focus of my writing has not been going well, which um, <laughs> is sort of going well for me, I guess. So that's been an interesting year. Yeah, it's it's been wild. Uh, I've started basically doing this writing full time, which has also been incredibly mind blowing to even be saying that. Uh, so that's been really awesome too. Yeah, no, it is fantastic. And, you know, I'm in a similar boat doing this stuff full time, which is totally wild. I did just put a link to your TikTok in <laughs> the you. chat. So people can go there. I'm now going. Yes, yeah, so I'm breaking up. new ground here. Yeah, <laughs> I've figured out how chat rooms work and URLs. I'm really ahead of the game here. 2023 <laughs> is ending on a real high note for me. <laughs> um, I've also just put the link to aftermath.site/products. Molly, do you have a, uh, a holiday sweater for us? I have a holiday overalls. Um, so okay, I'll have to stand up to. We love this model. Yes. That's wonderful. That's <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> In oh my every God. way. The cats go all the way down, but the big cat is actually a little bit puffy, which is very weird. And it has 
terrified my dog. He was like <laughs> on you. <laughs> so this is my uh, festive sweater. I love it. I, I hope you wear that all holiday long. Like I, you know, yes, I bought it and I was like, oh, this is going to be year round for sure. <laughs> Fantastic. I love it. And, you know, we'll be very excited to see your TikTok success continue into 2024 when you become, you know, one of the big stars and we're hearing about you on the TikTok news or whatever, however. Or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Whatever they do over there. I'm still not sure. Imagine like an old timey newsreel guy. It's like this. (laughs) But he's got one of those tiny microphones. (laughs) 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 I love it. Maybe that should be like my TikTok persona. I think you, yes. I think you figured it out. <laughs> no, that wouldn't work for you. <laughs> yeah. I think you could pull that I off. I feel like every few months, I'm like, you know what? I'm really going to join TikTok soon. I'm going to figure this out. And then I'm like, nah. <laughs> so now I'm saying next year. And we'll, we'll see if that's actually going to happen. Someone needs to hold you to it. <laughs> yeah. You know, well, you know, you're all here. My accountability, all the all the listeners will be, will be pushing me. Um, I don't push too hard, though. <laughs> Um, now, our fourth guest, you know, you have not seen him on the show before, but hopefully you've seen him over on Twitter.com, excuse me, X.com. Uh, Aaron Thorpe is the co-host of Everybody Loves Communism, which, of course, we all do. Some people in the chat are being like, holy, wait now, hold up. What, what, where am I right now? I think you're familiar with the show at this point. I love Aaron because he posts a ton of cool sci-fi, like illustrations and stuff all over Twitter all the time. Um, and he's also a fan of For All Mankind, which I love and we're going to talk about later. Uh, yeah. um, Aaron, how's it going? Welcome to the live stream. <laughs> um, it's going well, man. And um, I'm happy to be here because uh, your your show and also uh, This Machine Kills, um, Jathan and Ed, which I'm sure are friends of the show. I'm sure you've had them on before. Um, I, Absolutely. You, you guys do work that I feel like, especially from the left, like um, a critical analysis of tech. And um, I think that kind of ties in a lot with like the science fiction that I post to some these lost futures. Right. And this idea that like, I don't know, I guess that nugget of optimism for the future is like still there, but it's just kind of being dumped upon and weighed upon with all of this. Like, I mean, snake oil sale, like snake oil, you know what I mean? And, you know, it's kind of about like who kind of like contesting the future, you know, and um, who's in control of it. And um, I think we all agree here that it should be the working class, the people, you know, so um. Uh, I'm just happy to be on, man. And um, aside from uh, posting um, sci-fi, or, um, I'm actually uh, trying to get my writing legs back and trying to get back into writing speculative fiction. So uh, um, awesome. God willing, I have a, a piece that's going to be uh, coming out in um, two publications um, um, next year. So uh, people can look out for that because uh, a lot of the art I post like inspires me, you know, and I'm like, shit, man, like this is a story that I can like make myself or I can just find the cover art for the book you know actually find the book and i can yeah. story myself but um that's so great to be with you guys and thank you for having me absolutely i'm so excited to hear that you have some speculative fiction stories coming out and i can't wait to read them i feel like you know people listeners will be familiar i was speaking to joanne mcneil recently and she has a new fiction book out called wrong way um you know when she was talking about how she was just getting started with that and i feel like there's more and more people I talk to who are Actually, just I like. I think I have a copy here. Too. Yeah, there it's we like, go. Yeah, she sent me a copy. Yeah, yeah. You guys planned right that. Yeah, yeah. reach out screen now. Oh, I just happen to have. <laughs> go buy Joanne's book. Um, <laughs> it's on my yeah. list. <laughs> yeah, it's it's so good. It's great, and it's. I think you know. It's, it's not super long. It's not like a hard read. It's a really nice story to like slip into 
over the holidays when you just want some downtime go go pick it up you know um sorry okay <laughs> add add over um <laughs> joanne was paying me for that just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. she's she's off screen right here she's like a long gun to my head not really we all love mm. joanne but aaron great to have you on the show do you have a holiday sweater for us um i kind of do uh Oh yeah, kind of. Yeah, traditional. That counts. Yeah, traditional. That counts. Yeah, we yeah. love it. My um, my friend Eli is not watching um at all. But if he was or listening, um, Eli, thanks for the sweater, man. Uh, I live in Georgia, and I, I'm I'm very get very cold. I don't know what it is, but um, even in Georgia, sometimes um in the summer it would get a little chilly at night. And we were sitting on his porch, and I was like, dude, I'm kind of cold. And he ran inside and got me this sweater, and I I it was August, and I was wearing it, and it's awesome. <laughs> I, that was my Christmas sweater. I love that. Uh, you know, I would ask you what the temperature is in Georgia, but I don't know Fahrenheit, so I think it would be lost on me. <laughs> yeah, and I don't know Celsius either. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's 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 a uh, it's relatively cold. Um, what, Where's what the I, AI tool to like you know translate <laughs> yeah. the temperature to convert for us? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Neuralink, be... except all it does is translate <laughs> Celsius into Fahrenheit. <laughs> I, I'm going to get a chip put in my brain just so I can have Fahrenheit and Celsius translated like yeah. automatically. <laughs> it would be like the translator from Star Trek, but just for like, you know, conversion for, of, you know, systems, metric systems. Yeah. Metric systems. Seen... Okay. So I watched. I think it just my... be easier to force you guys to, you know, finally uh, go metric. <laughs> <laughs> I, know to finally, I know to finally let this vestige of the past go. Uh, men yeah. will literally use Fahrenheit before going to therapy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, someone noted it, of course, but maybe you, you will not know what they are all talking about. Of course, I also have a holiday sweater for you. People who watched last year will know that it's a repeat. Um, <laughs> apologies, <laughs> but it's okay because we love it. Yes, we do love it. It's the that's best sweater so in the world. Awesome. <laughs> oh, man, dude. So that's much. so cool. <laughs> man, now I wish I had like a Star Trek Christmas sweater. Yeah. Like that. I got to get my Christmas sweater. Get what you know. <laughs> I, I saw it last year. I was like, I have to have it. You know, it's Clippy. We love Clippy. For for the listeners on the stream, it's, you know, Clippy from Microsoft Office saying happy holidays, little OK button, a bunch of little paper flying around instead of snowflakes. It's beautiful. That's pretty tight. That's pretty tight. It would, it would be cool if <laughs> paper um, that's knitted on it was actual paper, but then I guess you couldn't wash it. You know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> so I, mean, I just yeah. hope Clippy is having a nice time with his family. Me too. Yeah. yeah. Clippy's having a nice time with me. So <laughs> <laughs> has Clippy been retired? Is is Clippy like uh, uh, in a stationary the stationary desk that all uh, stationary retires to with his um yeah. right yeah. picket fence in his family? I believe so. <laughs> I, I don't think Clippy's in current Microsoft Office, um, which is a real shame. It's a missed opportunity, especially with the new AI tool. They could have just yeah. brought him back. So somebody just the, mentioned Clippy was the original AI assistant. I think I'd I'd have to exactly, concur yeah. with that assessment. I would. Didn't fucking work either. Like, yeah. you know? <laughs> right, exactly. When AI, AI systems were good, uh, you know, not promising you too much. Anyone got a link to Joanne's book? I will get that for you. Just mm. give me a minute and I will post it in the chat. So, you know, as as we've all been talking about, it's been a bit of a wild and, you know, uh, up and down year in the tech industry. Some obvious stories, maybe some not so obvious ones. And I wonder, you know, what are your kind of top things that stand out to you that happened in tech or, you know, kind of adjacent to it, you know, related to it this year? I wonder who wants to go first. This is the pressure. 
I always want to go first. Okay. <laughs> Gita, you're going first. <laughs> I have a weird one, but it's something I saw. It might have been Spencer Ackerman tweeting about this morning, but somebody who also wonders this is, I am wondering if we are experiencing the fallout of long-term ketamine abuse in Silicon Valley. <laughs> you know, ketamine yes. has been the drug of the year in so many ways. Uh, not just in that I every time I go out, young people around me are doing ketamine and I'm confused. But uh, also in that there's been like breakthroughs in like depression treatment for mm-hmm. ketamine use. But also we are hearing things like, Elon Musk right now, I think in more than one expose, it's been revealed, is self-medicating his depression and anxiety with ketamine. And the long-term effects of ketamine use do include mood disorders, psychosis, and delusions of grandeur. So that's really- But what if you already have those things already? I don't think you just get, you go super Saiyan, essentially. (laughs) (laughs) You become even more convinced of your godhood, which is definitely like happening, right? I, I- I don't, the things that he says in public about himself and his company are concerning because, and any other person, they would indicate a need for a mental health uh, intervention, but that is not occurring here, which is also something that makes me completely terrified of having money, right? Like, I don't ever want to get to a level of power where I need help and people won't help me because um, me being perceived as mentally healthy makes a stock price go up, right? That's scary. That's terrifying. Did did you see that story the other day? I believe it's from um, the recent book, Breaking Twitter. Um, Mm -hmm. I can't remember the uh, the author. And they were basically saying that after Elon Musk appeared at that, um, uh, who was that comedian where he was like booed off the stage? Oh, Dave Chappelle. Yeah, Dave Chappelle. Yeah. Or, well, you know, he was just massively booed. I don't know if he was booed off the stage exactly. But anyway, while that was happening, you know, afterward, that was like a real kind of, I don't know, wake up call for him. Like he didn't expect that to happen. That people actually don't fucking like him. Yeah. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Because he's like created this, this Twitter feed where it's just all praise for himself and everyone around him, you know, will not say no to him and just praises him all the time. Um, and there were, the the story was that he went back to Twitter HQ afterwards. It was in San Francisco and locked himself in a conference room because he's been like sleeping on and off in in the office. And the employees were like so concerned that they almost called the police to come do a oh, wellness. No, he's fine. he's fine. He's fine. He's fine. In there with the loading yeah. gun, it's okay. It's not a big yeah. deal. Please, done that. Can you imagine how different the world would be now if they had done that? Yeah. <laughs> I, my hope is that it would be different, you know? I, I'm i interested in this because, like, I think so much about how Silicon Valley really is born out of, like, a 1960s, like, homesteaders movement in the mm. 60s and 70s of, like, the whole yeah. Earth catalog and stuff. And you're seeing, like, so much of it is driven by hallucinations that are had from long-term drug abuse. And yeah. here we're seeing it happen in real time, in a way that seems very easily connectable, if you like pay attention to how these people talk and behave, and it makes me feel like, why not burn everything down? Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. it's like that moment in The Good Place. This is my me revealing I watch mediocre sitcoms all of the time. <laughs> oh, uh, no, no shame on that. I love slop. You know? Oh, my God. It's so <laughs> easy slop. to get stuff done while you got like a fountain of slop going on in the background. You know, <laughs> Michael Schur, for me, really has the slop touch, you know, exactly the right level of pleasant so that I'm never having a bad time. But there's this moment where Chidi Anagonye, 
embraces nihilism and starts making a big pot of chili and adding marshmallow peeps to it. And like, that's how I feel when I learn these things. Like you have like something like when I got depression, my whole family like got together and told me to stop doing all the horrible things I was doing to my body and mind. When you have depression, you make an AI that you say will be anti-woke, but still believes trans women are women. Yeah. Yeah. An AI that invents new slurs. Exactly. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Like this is, this is like. Just what the world needs. Exactly. Just more of it, please. Yeah. You know, I thought when I was like a really depressed guy that if I was in charge of everything, then everything would make sense, but that wasn't true. And now we're seeing what happens when it, you know, when we actually try. So it's like a long tradition in Silicon Valley to let drugs make all of your decisions for you. But this is like such a sad version of this story that's happened over and over. Like at least cocaine guys were having fun. He's not having fun at all. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And he's also like, you know, he's also uh, people also think that he's going to be a steward, stewardess into the future. Right. Like, you know, a lot of people are banking like their uh, their hopes and optimism, you know on this guy that's like just i mean locking himself in a room and doing ketamine you know what i mean it's and really has <laughs> grandeur you know yeah man yeah it freaks me out it makes me feel cautious and nervous but also i mean this year it's nice to no longer be at a level of depression where his behaviors are really relatable to me right yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know yeah, yeah, i got yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I think that's a wild connection to make. Like I hadn't even considered it. The early kind of Silicon Valley folks and you know like the, mushrooms, the psilocybin, yeah, totally. You know yeah. Steve Jobs talking about how LSD like you know made him. I don't know whatever yeah, he said. A visionary genius. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Exactly. Johnny Ive to do all yeah. the work. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine going on like a mushroom trip and what you see is just like an iPad. Like. The machines don't want to fuck with you. (laughs) I think the whole point of like tripping balls and doing like hallucinogenics is that so you don't have to think about ways that you can make money and invisible people. You know what I mean? Yeah, like like, when I'm tripping, go trip on mushrooms and then think about my job. (laughs) Your psyche is so fucked at that point. Like your inner self is just more and more compressed. Like it's just a fucking diamond in there. You know, <laughs> so hilarious. I love that. I love that this was your story for the year because it totally came out of left field for me. But really I've been good. thinking about it too because it's yeah. wild. And yeah, someone in the chat mentioned that he's also on Ozempic, of course. Oh, no. Um, really? Which is like, yeah. Well, so sad. I don't know if he's off it now, but he was on Ozempic, and I don't know. I'm I'm still very. I don't feel good about that drug. I feel like there's a whole load of side effects that are like slowly coming out. We just that. don't know what the yeah. body was, how it's yeah. going to react to not eating nutrients it needs because mm-hmm. you don't feel like you need them. I just, we yeah. don't know how, what's going to happen from that. And, you know, it really just makes me think if Elon Musk had actually fully gone into the Hollywood machine when Marvel was putting him in movies and he was a guy that was like on HGH and was doing (laughs) cameos, he would be a happier person. Like there is a world, there is a world that embraces this level of vanity and for which it is like the point of your job. Also, if he had embraced just being like a celebrity spokesperson type, he would probably be happier, but he wants to be legitimate. So he's trapped in a conference room doing ketamine, you know? Yeah. Agreed. It is. You know, it is. I, think, I honestly think uh, that ahead. Elon's biggest like 
downfall is that he just wants to be a really good poster, yes. which is like one of the yeah. hardest things to fake. Like you, you can't just be like, I'm going to learn how to be a good poster. It's either like God given or you just have to give up. Right. You got it or yeah. you don't. You got it. Yeah. Or you don't got it. And I mean, what it is, too, is that this is a website that like, you know, I think that he thought I like I like Gita's a uh, uh, tech story of the year, tech kind of trend of the year, because like I think that like a lot of these people, a lot of these people look up to Elon Musk and they look look up to figures like Jeff Bezos. And like I mentioned, right, they think that these guys are basically like Tony Stark, right? Except they're not like Tony Stark, but they still have the addictions of alcoholism and yeah, vanity yeah, and all yeah, the other yeah, stuff, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? So like, I don't know. Um, I mean, I don't know if I should jump in, but my 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 kind of thing is related, and I feel like it's super related. Go for I, it. You you guys probably are more knowledgeable and real research about all these tech stories than I am. But I think one that was really, really funny to me, um, because I love space, right, was the um, the explosion, right? And the failed or not failed or purposefully failed launch, yeah. Starship <laughs> One, I don't know, what, which was also launched on Hitler's birthday, which, I, again, I just think there are a lot of parallels between, like, um, <laughs> the Nazi space program and Von Braun and someone like Elon Musk, right? Um Actually, uh, Fred Sharman uh, covers um, the history of space colonization in his book, Space Forces, which we talked a little about Paris. And um, people should check that out. Yeah, um, which that- and people can go back. I, I don't know the episode number, but there is an interview on Tech Won't Save Us with Fred where we go into all that history. Yes. Yeah. And we had an interview with him, too, actually, on Everybody Loves Communism. So people can check that out, too. But um, I just think it's 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 we should point out that um, and Fred points that out, this out in his book that the creation, the building of the V2 rockets, right, which Von Braun designed more um, Jews, more people died in concentration camps or work camps, rather, labor camps, building those rockets than people that were actually killed by those rockets, right? So, I don't know, the the, the explosion or the failed launch or whatever it was of, of Starship 1 to me was just sort of maybe like a flashpoint for me personally, sort of in um, the private space industry, right? Because NASA's going back to the moon, you know, supposedly in 2025, and Elon Musk, they partnered with SpaceX, Right. And it's not that the space industry hasn't um, hasn't been funded and researched with private industry, right? We know this, whether it's Boeing or Lockheed Martin. But, I mean, it just makes me think about the way he runs Twitter. And I'm like, okay, we're never going to Mars, first of all. I love space. I love space colonization. We're never going there. But even if we were to do that, right, collectivize these resources, right, and someone was willing to, like, bank bank on this awesome idea, right, I wouldn't want to be in a ship, you know, that's Elon Musk, you know, in a SpaceX ship probably going, you know what I mean? Like, I know we're using those ships, but just the whole project of colonization, reproducing these injustices on Earth. I don't think that's the guy to do it. And um, I just have to say the the Starship thing kind of a it was very uh, satisfying. You know, it was very satisfying (laughs) to watch it explode and sort of have these sort of ideas about um, the the real reality, I guess, of space colonization and our prospects in space kind of have them like uh, uh, um, crystallized, you know. In, yeah. this, in this mass explosion where I'm like, yeah, man, these guys, um, what they are, they're future hustlers, you know, they're snake oil salesmen and they're future hustlers. And um, I love to see them fail, man. I love to see it. <laughs> that rhymes. <Yeah. laughs> well, you know, we love to push back on the snake oil industry here on the show, of course. I think when you talk about SpaceX, I, I, I feel like there's two things that come to mind, right? First of all, is like the move fast and break things mm-hmm. ideology applied to space 
And it's like, is that really the way that we should be approaching this when, you know, we're out in the vacuum and like, there's nothing, you know, if something goes, yeah. (laughs) If there's one thing that the incredibly accurate and, and, uh, and historically perfect show for all mankind has taught me is that you cannot be moving fast and breaking things in space. You'll die. You'll die right away. (laughs) Well, you do have to be moving fast, but maybe not breaking things. (laughs) (laughs) Fair, fair. (laughs) But there's, there's a story from earlier in SpaceX history where it must be it must have been like a one of the earlier times when they had actual humans like being launched on one of these rockets and something broke with like the toilet system or something like that and so the astronauts had to wear diapers the whole time because like urine was like leaking everywhere because like they messed something up and it's like that sounds really terrible we still haven't figured that out i mean like you know despite the fact of the greater uh scientific contributions right in consumer technology that the space race has given us and the things we've been able to do in space you know when it comes to like um shitting and pissing we haven't figured that out yet you know (laughs) it's still a pretty important thing Aaron, I wanted to ask you, did you see uh, NASA put up a trailer on their YouTube? We, me and my husband are obsessed with NASA's YouTube channel. They they recently changed yes. the announcer for this week at NASA, and we've never been more devastated. But <laughs> there's a trailer on there for uh, NASA decided to open up commercial trading to the moon. Oh, they're bringing God. capitalism to the moon man <laughs> man this, this is this is what this is what fred Sharman talks about in his book is like you know reproducing right um yeah. these these e- social economic political economic systems in space and i mean like you know we'll, we'll, we'll get into it i don't talk too much about for all mankind but one thing that i like that that show does is that it, it shows you sort of like geopolitics like translated right to space right and i mean we have had treaties right i think the first treaty was like I mean, in 19, don't quote me on this, is 1970-something, right? Where it's like, nobody can own the moon, right? Mm-hmm. And then I think that sort of got peeled back under Obama and then even more under Trump with the Space Force. So it's like, and now they're talking about, well, we have to get to the moon or these mind these asteroids before China. I mean, that's pretty <laughs> much what the UFO hearings were about, right? The UFO yeah. hearings, I wish they were actually about fucking UFOs. Yeah. That'd be awesome, right? Yeah. But it was basically about how can we fortify supremacy in space, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We we did an episode of the show on UFOs and there were certainly basically saying like the UFOs are are not real. This is about like, <laughs> you know, the US national security industry and all this kind of stuff. And some mm-hmm. people were like super mad. And they were like, Do you not see what's going on right now? Like there's hearings <laughs> on UFOs. I'm like, Yeah, that's why we did this episode, actually. <laughs> no, I believe that the yeah. UFOs are real, but I also believe that the United States government wants any excuse they want, they possibly can to militarize outer space. They want to do it oh, so bad. They are salivating at the prospect. So like UFOs, if you are watching us, just like like, keep it chill for a little bit longer. Yeah. <laughs> <Please>. <laughs> cool. <laughs> like, we know not what we do. We're babies. Yeah. You know what I mean? Annihilate yeah. some of us, but not all of us, please. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, UFOs do love the Tech Won't Save Us podcast. So that is That's true. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> They've told me personally. Yeah, yeah. Good. <laughs> um, Molly, what's your, what's your top thing that stood out to you in 2023? So I think for me... One of the kind of wildest things that happened this year was the emergence of these sort of explicit, almost philosophical movements within the tech world into sort of the mainstream. Um, 
So, you know, it's certainly not like, you know, for example, effective altruism is new this year. It's been around for a lot longer than a year, but suddenly people knew about it far outside like the Bay Area housing co-ops and stuff like that, you know, in Sam Bankman-Fried's living room. Um, And that's been really wild to watch to see like Mark Andreessen writing manifestos that are not just about software is going to eat the world, but also about capitalism and about much more philosophical ideas and like the morality of the work that he's been doing. And it's been a little bit alarming, I think, to watch some of these very powerful tech people start to embrace these very cult like uh, ideologies almost, you know? Yeah. To, to sort of see them say, you know, not only is what I'm doing good because I'm making a lot of money and because I am innovating or whatever it is, but now it's also morally good and ethically right. And in fact, it is the most moral thing that one could be doing, you know, to be developing AI or funding a crypto project or whatever it is that they're doing. That's definitely been a big one for me this year because that that feels new. You know, it's not like ideologies are new in tech for sure that's that's certainly not the case but to see you know people with eac in their twitter bios who are just like random software engineers at some company you know at meta or whatever uh is that's been a little weird yeah yeah Yeah. absolutely I i feel like i feel like one of like the notable distinctions in this moment as well is also like you know we've had ideologies around tech for a long time and they've been trying to sell us a certain idea of what tech is and what Silicon Valley is and how amazing they are and how they're making the world a better place for ages, right? It's just like in this moment, it feels like it's not like welcome to this amazing world that tech is bringing you and all the media is going along with how incredible the future is going to be because of Elon Musk and all these tech companies and stuff. But it very much feels more like, no, you need to follow us or like we are coming for you kind yeah. of a thing. Yeah. Like, yeah it's yeah. very adversarial. I think yeah. is how I would put it. Yeah. Right. I agree. And also I think just the overlap between some of these ideologies and like meme culture has been really mm. weird to watch where yeah. it seems, I mean, I don't know how planned it was, but it feels like someone sort of realized that if we can, you know, memeify this ideology, that's actually very similar to a lot of past ideologies. We can get a whole bunch of new people on board and, you know, actually make a difference or recruit, you know, high profile people to the cause and that kind of thing, Um, which is very weird because it has, I think, been successful to some extent. Not that I would say EAC has really produced much yet, but it's also pretty early. Um, But sort of seeing it's like they sort of come, you know, woken up a little bit to the new age and realized that like, oh, if we have better memes, then we'll get the youths (laughs) on board with our move (laughs) break things thing, um, which is very weird. You know what? You know what these guys remind me of. Um, and I've mentioned this on Twitter before. It's probably not an original uh, sentiment or theory, but they remind me of the futurists from um, Italy, nineteen thirties, and totally. dating nineteen thirties. You know what was going on in Italy in the nineteen thirties? They were fascists, right? What they believed what? in. <laughs> what? What do you? Mean? And I think the Nazis too. Um, some of their aesthetics, right, were also mm-hmm. um, influenced or inspired by the futurists. And basically, the futurists believed in technology as a marker of social progress. So that was by any means necessary. So that included violence, hyper-violence. Um, that included the destruction of nature, 
Um, Hyper masculinity was also involved in that, right? All these gender norms. And what they essentially believed, I mean, this is where you get these sleek curves, right? Of trains mm-hmm. and a lot of the retrofuturism. Um, actually, William Gibson has a story, um, a short story called the Gernsback Continuum, um, which basically critiques this uh, Gernsbackian retrofuturism. He compares it to uh, Nazi Germany. And that's what I think these guys are, right? And that's why I think what you mentioned, Paris, it's like, you know, get on board or get out of the way. I mean, like, these are people that have no qualms at all about, like, stepping over you know, your family member's corpse in the street, you know what I mean? If it means that they can make a buck and also, you know, sell you something that will kill you, right? Something that's <laughs> supposed to be like this Jetson sort of future, but it's like, oh no, that's just a, it's just, it's a Nexus device, you know? It's mm-hmm. a torment totally. device, I guess. Yeah, yeah, torment yeah, Nexus, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's it's that, just like homies that spend all day long being terrified of Roko's basilisk are weak. You know, that's what it is to me. Like, that's what this is to me. You're making up a guy that's you to be afraid for their future. The whole Rogus Basilisk thing makes me absolutely furious because it is so much of the thing that gets wrapped up in, like, I I think... Uh, this futurist impulse, this, uh, I was going to say ethical non-monogamous, but that's not. <laughs> that's pretty good, I like that. That's pretty good. <laughs> that's really good. <laughs> I just I'm can't remember that. what it's called. Um, but you mean effective altruist? Effective altruist, I do. Yeah. I just, every time I'm trying to say effective altruist, I think ethical non-monogamous. I mean, there's some overlap there. Ethical <laughs> yeah. non-monogamous is a thing? That's yeah, what they did yeah. enjoy that in their it's like their the, yeah it's like a cool new name like, for polyamory i think yeah it's God. just like it's, they <laughs> invented a whole bunch of rules for just having cool casual sex basically you know again it's like a, a similar type of attitude right that embody encompass all of these things i think this idea of their being like it's reinventing religion in a lot of ways right? yes an idea of being an immutable version of you that could be harmed by your actions in the present but in the future so they created like a new weird version of religion that doesn't involve god but also involves them becoming god possibly by making good choices now and not making bad choices in the future that's just catholicism i don't know why they need to do it again (laughs) yeah i think the wildest thing about it for me is like a lot of the really hyper rationalist types of movements you know including effective altruism it's like the, the religion is sort of math but also you can just like multiply anything by infinity if you want, because then you can just justify anything you want. You know, like exactly. the idea that, you know, oh, well, we're going to try to maximize the amount of good that we're going to do. Well, you can just say that if this thing is going to be extended to infinity humans in the future, then we can just maximize this tiny number by multiplying it by infinity because it will, you know, it will help infinity people. And then suddenly that's the best thing you could possibly be doing, which is very convenient. But also it's like... How are you so obsessed with math and rationality? And then you're also like, we're just going to multiply these numbers by other numbers that we made up. You know, just like <laughs> I don't know how they square that. It seems like that, that's off- where the faith and like the just the justification for kind of like yeah. whatever they want to do comes in, right? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. yeah. There, there's the attempt to kind of build some kind of structural justification for the world that they want to create and like everything that they want to do and not to be held to account for anything. And then it's just like. I don't know. There, there's no God anymore. So let's let's worship our technologies and this will be amazing. And everybody is feeling that kind of void in themselves anyway. So we can fill it with kind of our techno philosophies. And yeah. I don't know. It's getting scary. It is. I think that religion analogy is so apt because I guess 
you know, I mean, religion is still like used for this, but you know, in sort of um, um, uh, creating like an overarching narrative for people, you know, and giving people like something to believe in. And I think like the tech stuff, especially because we are ever increasingly like bombarded with these new technological inventions and achievements. And I think, I think Molly, you've talked about it before, like creating a solution to a problem that doesn't sort of exist, you know? And it's like, I think at the end of the day, like, I think the religion is kind of based on like this um, infinite growth fallacy, you know? Mm -hmm. And I mean, at some point, like I was thinking about this the other day about data centers, you know, and about like, I mean, I don't know if we'll run out of physical space, right? But there's a finite amount of space that you can have to, like, you know, uh, uh, to to build these data centers and also the effect on, you know, the environment and whatnot. And I'm reading, like, you know, they're talk talking about, like, eventually putting orbital data centers in space, you know? And just this sort of inundation of information and the fact that we have to store it all somewhere and the fact that, like, well, there's, there's sort of the line only goes like sharply, like, uh, it goes a little, like, little here and sharply to the to the right, you know what I mean? It continues to go straight up. Which is kind of what um, Gerard O'Neill, which was this futurist, believed in, right? That we could have this unlimited growth, and like, yeah, man, that, that's that's not that's not true, man. That's uh, that's far from the truth, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and that's like at the basis of Jeff Bezos's visions for space and all this kind of stuff, right? Um, I think I think the data centers is a good uh, bridge into the thing that I'm going to bring up, which is you know quite obvious if anyone's been paying any attention to the tech industry. I would say I. I love all the topics that you've all brought up and how they weren't like just the totally obvious things, which is what I'm going to bring up because I want to prompt the conversation on it. Um, <laughs> but uh, Nicholas mentioned the old new agey. I miss when the trendy capitalist new aginess was like listening to Enya and shopping at natural. <laughs> I will just say, you know, here in here in Enya brought me back, especially to Lord of the Rings, the two towers, you know, the song that she made for the credit sequence, the Gollum song. Man, I like so that so much. Yeah. <laughs> We've talked about elves before and how we, we couldn't let go of the Lord of the Rings television show a little bit because the elf politics was good. I love yeah. elf politics so much. <laughs> I, I wish the show was better. Like I want to yeah. see more elves. You know? Yeah. I, I don't Personal know. Personal recommendation. On Twitter, but oh, I got a new awesome. keyboard and it's like Lord of the Rings, like Elvish. Oh, nice. Shit. Oh my God. It's so Dude, cool. I got a keyboard, but I did not do enough to see that. Yeah. <laughs> and like, I, I think I would totally, oh my God. I think I would totally go into a catatonic state if I had to use it. Like I think I would freak out, but I like. You gotta press the one ring. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would always press the one ring. Yeah. Um, personal recommendation for me to yeah. use Paris Marks is the anime Freren, which is all about being an elf and living a really long time and realizing that you have to actually befriend your friends instead of being aloof and elf-like. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I love this. All that the show is about. It's great. It's this sounds really positive. It, it sounds like it, one piece for elves. That sounds it's a little cool. bit about like grief, like pre grieving, knowing you're going to live longer than all your friends. But <laughs> you know, like it Aaron is very is over here writing down one piece for elves in his sci fi novel. <laughs> 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 I'm ideas right here. Oh my god, like, can you on. imagine elf pirates? They'd be so rude. <laughs> like yeah. I love the idea though that yeah. you know, I'm imagining that right now. Mm-hmm. Um. Spell spell the name for me of the show. F R E I R E N. Freren. Freren. All right. Yeah. We'll be watching that. Listeners, <laughs> do you got that? Um, yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll have Gita back on for like a premium episode to talk about it once I've, once I've watched it. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. My topic, big story, most obvious story of them all AI hype. Come on. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it's the one. 
ChatGPT, November 2022, really takes off early this year. You know, Sam Bank, or Jesus, Sam Altman <laughs> does it. <laughs> There's only one bad Sam in town. Yeah. I have said they need to stop naming people Sam. There's yeah. too many yeah. of them. Yeah, that's, that, that name has been ruined. Yeah, like, Sam, yes, Sam. If you're with a half baked idea, you just got to get out now. Change yeah. your name. We or can't have too name. many. Yeah. 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 <laughs> You know, if, if if you hear a Sam coming into these VC offices, you know, shoot shoo them away. That, that's yeah. bad news. If you get a big um, hammer, possibly, you know. Yeah. <laughs> no, don't do or a ch- like a big old cane to just yank them out the door. <laughs> Give them an acme hammer, yeah. 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 Anvil. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Michael says Sam Alpen freed, Sam Bank in jail. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> that's really good. That's really good. Um, but yeah, so we have our Sam Altman. He goes on his big tour. You know, recently he's he's experienced some tumult uh, at at the company. You know, been ousted and then then reinstated as CEO. But you know, I think for me, watching the AI hype, it was a real kind of deja vu moment. And certainly, I've talked about this on the show before, right? What really kind of woke me up to uh, like seeing the tech industry more critically. The the thing most of all that did it was seeing in the mid 2010s when there were all these promises about automation and robots and AI taking all of our jobs, right? And we were going to need a basic income to like make everyone secure because nobody was going to have an income anymore because the robots were going to do all our jobs and it was going to eradicate like half the jobs by whenever. Um, And then it never happened, right? And then what actually happened was Amazon used tech to like have this algorithmic management of its workers so that, you know, it could carve them out of unions and make sure they were paid less and, you know, make really high like production targets on them that make them at much higher rates of injury and companies like Uber using it to like carve people, carve workers out of employment protections altogether. But yeah, so, so this is my, this is my big thing, right? I saw this happen at the time. I was like a believer, right? I was like a fully automated luxury communist. I Mm -hmm. really believe that like the technologies were going to wipe out all the work and like, how are we going to possibly like live in a society without a basic income, blah, blah, blah. Right. Then it didn't happen. And I was like, okay, my understanding of this industry is like totally wrong. Like I, Mm -hmm. I got something wrong and I need to like re-examine this. And that's really where like my perspective on the tech industry that I have now really came from and kind of reassessing it and looking at the political economy of this industry and like understanding what's actually happening there. And so then this year to see like all the hype around AI again and how it was going to take our jobs and like all these narratives like being repeated from the mid 2010s, I was like, how are we doing this again? Like how, how is the media still reporting all this stuff and not like waking up to it? So yeah, it, it was like a deja vu moment, but it was also like, I don't know how I would describe it exactly. But it seemed like more people this time were very much bought in from the beginning or recognizing from the beginning, maybe because of the crypto wave that happened more mm. recently, that like this was just another hype wave to drive investment in the industry. And it was all going to fall away in like a year or two. And then we'd be on to the next thing. Well, so, didn't, yeah, a lot of, didn't a lot of the people who were on that crypto wave, a lot of the people were also funders and pushers and advocates of AI, yeah. right? I remember oh, going right. to different VC blogs and reading their like AI evangelism and then like just clicking out to the blog girl and scrolling down and seeing the same exact post for NFTs. Like, yeah. They were trying to replace the word yeah. NFT with AI. Yeah, Basically, yeah, it's the same arguments and also the same argument that I've heard about every single piece of radical technology that ends up kind of sucking, you know? 
my favorite thing to do with chat GPT. And it's always like, just do it. If you're in chat, do it right now. Load up chat GPT and type, draw me an AC uh, ASCII uh, illustration of a map of the United States labeled and label all the states and describe the drawing and just see what happens. Yeah, 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 you yeah. know, just yeah. every time it'll give you a very, very interesting idea of what even the general shape of the United States is. <laughs> and it's been like this throughout every single version of it. Like, like a 10 year old with enough time can draw an ASCII art map of the United States. It's yeah. not that hard. <laughs> you can have like, a, what is what is the what is the uh, the sort of um the thought experiment, like a hundred thousand monkeys typing on a typewriter that will <laughs> yeah. type out a novel. You yeah. don't you don't think about the AI too. Uh, the AI hype too is that and somebody pointed this out to me. Maybe this is just a general sort of um, opinion or take on it. But, you know, it seemed like like. Prior. So I was, I was, I mean, I don't like to call myself a futurist because of those connotations, but I am a futurologist. I'm like to think about technology totally. right? and think about, especially, you know, as a radical and think about the ways that um, technology can free us um, um, from, um, um, from, you know, the kind of like, like bullshit labor that we don't need to be doing. Right. Of course, people would still. Well, that's the point. Right. Is that AI, I thought, was supposed to do the work that didn't, nobody wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Now it's doing things like creating art and yeah. writing news articles. And it's doing all these other things that like are very human, but they're uncanny. And it's just this kind of a simulacrum of human interaction. Like, I mean, I saw there's, um, there's this AI writing um, um, program called pseudo, right. That um, I've seen people pushing and like, I'm sorry. It's kind of like what you said, Molly, early about posting. If you don't got it, you don't got it, man. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like the idea that a computer or will, 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 first of all, will amalgamate, right. All of these different sources, right. So already you have their theft, right. Intellectual theft, but also how is a computer going to describe like the touch of a human face, right. Yeah. Or like the smell of something. And I know this is a more general philosophical kind of debate, but I really do think about the ways in which, you know, tech, like these, these failed promises of technology sort of hollow. I mean, it's not, it kind of hollow us out. And I mean, it's not that people are making these individual decisions. It's coming on from down high, by these like um, snake oil salesmen, you know? Yeah, Yeah. I think a lot about the point of creativity, right? What is the point of creativity? It's synthesizing something new out Mm -hmm. of lived human experiences and the other art that you've seen. That is the one thing the model, a large neural language learning network model cannot actually do. Like technologically, that is not part of what it can do. It can statistically find the combinations of words and pixels that will please the user. But it cannot make something new. It can only make something out of the bits and pieces of other things you've already seen, which makes a lot of sense that people are obsessed with it for making pornography girlfriends, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it appeals to almost, it's like, it truly is slop in the the truest sense of the word, where, like, it's almost like some Cronenbergian, like, you know, flesh monster that's just really grotesque. And I think about this a lot, too, the fact that, like, Okay, so people train AI, right? There have been a lot of stories written about this. A lot of people in the global south, right, who are like being subjected to most, some of the most horrible shit that you've ever seen on the internet and also some of the most mundane work, right? But then when we have all this AI content, like I forgot well, I forgot who said it, but someone did a Google search for a certain image. And the first thing that I think it was the um the 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 tank man, right? The famous mm-hmm. picture of the guy standing in front of a tank. Right. And I think it 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 gave them the result back, the Google result back. The first one was like an AI reproduction yeah. of that, you know? That's been happening all over the place. Yeah. yeah. I, I find it fascinating though, like when I hear you describe that, because 
I feel like one of the things that stands out to me, like, you know, like the robots are not going to do the janitor's work and the robots are not going to do these like tasks that we would want to um, free humans from doing for the most part, right? Mm -hmm. These, these real kind of um, basic tasks. And you know what, maybe there's people who enjoy doing janitorial work and more power to them. Um, You know, they should just be paid well if they want to do that. Exactly. If you want to be a garbage man, you should get paid more. You know what I mean? Totally. Absolutely. There are some yeah. uh, kinds of work as a writer I can understand not wanting to do. People in video game uh, development have said they've used ChatGPT and similar neural like language learning models to uh, write character barks, which is mm-hmm. like a character saying "oof." Like it's like you need to write a hundred of those, and I can understand not wanting to write and rewrite the same list of barks that you've written like a dozen <laughs> times before. Yeah. But also, like that is such a tiny use case. There's like almost no other kind of writing or creative work where that is like a like a necessary thing for you to just make a thousands of something that's really really basic at once and um also like being a creative means kind of being like just drowning in the process right like when you make something creative it's about doing the really tedious thing to understand the tedious task better and to again synthesize something new out of something you've done hundreds of times before yeah. One thing that I think is really interesting about a lot of the people who make these really broad statements about like AI is going to take everyone's job or AI is going to become, you know, equivalent to a human is a lot of the time when they do that, they only do so by like completely redefining the word job or human, mm. you know, yeah. Yeah. or like they'll redefine job to be like what you just described with the the character barks, you know, yeah, or they'll yeah. redefine human just to refer to the tasks that a human does and not, you know, touching or feeling or smelling or loving or, you know, anything like that, which is really sad. I feel like, you know, you just, it feels like we're really losing uh, a lot when you, when you start talking about humans that are really just yeah. job doers, you know, yeah. or task doers. Yeah. Um, but I, I feel like that's becoming a big part of the conversation in the sort of AI hype world where it's like, they're going to be just like humans if that human is just like, you know, on a computer all day typing letters, which, I mean, that's me, but. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe this, maybe this is a speculative, uh, speculative person in me too, but um, I've talked about this story so much, man, but um, there's a story called The Pretended by Daryl A. Smith in um, an anthology of black speculative fiction edited by Sheree Renee Thomas. And I love that story because when we always talk about computers and robots, like, um, like we 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 sort of humanize them, or I guess like robots and androids, we sort of humanize them, but also we understand that this thing that we made and created is meant to do work for us. It's meant to work for us. I think the first sketch of an automaton in the United States, um, I think this was during like the, the Antebellum South. I think the the model was of a black man, right? You know, because in their minds they saw that. Well, I mean, if this robot's going to do work, then who who else does work? Who else do we relate to as farm equipment, basically? And in this short story, they pretended there's a there's a genocide, right, of black people. And um, what ends up happening is that black androids are created to replace almost as minstrels, right, to replace black people, right? Because in order to dehumanize someone, right, you have to create. It has to be an active consciousness thing that you do, right? Mm-hmm. And this is a speculative part of me, but it kind of worries me when we talk about like. AI like robots doing work and like you know all this labor because it's it's like well I don't know I guess Molly's kind of the point that you were making right it's like 
those robots are never going to be sentient and they're never going to do that work alone, right? They're go- somebody is going to have to be subservient to that. They're going mm-hmm. to have to be almost an addition, right? Yeah. Almost like a complementary piece or something that you screw in to make yeah. something work, you know? And I just think that like, you know, this talk of like valuing human life and labor while devaluing human life, you know, and the labor that yeah. people do, I just think it's a weird trap. I don't know if any of that made sense, but it's a very no, sticky makes- trap, you know? Total sense. I think sense. about this a lot in relationship to journalism, where you see some websites like my former employer, Geo Media, has been running AI articles. And the, the mission is to make journalists who have been doing all of the work of journalism for so long and will likely continue to do all of the work of journalism when they're having to shepherd these these little AI writers um, is to turn them from creative working people with ideas to technicians or minders for the robots minders yeah yeah and it's likely again because the ai writing is like the ai fucking chat gpt article that that gizmodo ran where it didn't even get the star wars movies in order (laughs) to be fair i wouldn't either i'm a trekkie to be fair i wouldn't either so (laughs) yeah fair enough enough. the ai is a trekkie (laughs) (laughs) yeah god if only an ai had that level of taste right an observation you know that would be incredible that would be worth it to having it maybe supplement some of your your takes because i know you need a thousand of them when you work in an environment like that but like yeah you know like you you will continue to have to be an editor a writer a researcher a proofreader uh you know doing layout all the all the things that were involved in your job description before except it's all credited to the ai yeah so you know like it is absolutely mind-boggling like you're watching the devaluation of a complete field of work in the name of elevating it just as it's happening Gita, that's such a good point that you bring up because um on the 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 trailblazers uh, which is the other podcast that I do we've talked about this before we've talked about like how AI will eventually the onus will be placed on the AI right it'll mm-hmm. be placed on like well you know sorry that AI like racially profiles people whether it's from law enforcement to the healthcare industry you know um it's it's just it's unbiased, right? It's not our mm-hmm. fault. And it's like, yeah. well, dude, like it, it reminds me of like um like Kodak when Kodak first started making color film. Um, the reproductions of black people, right? Like the mm-hmm. color in color, I mean, like you couldn't see them, right? You couldn't, yeah. you couldn't, and the re- the representation was awful because they were like, Well, we didn't know that black people bought film, you know what I mean? Yeah. Cameras. Yeah. And once they realized that, they developed the kind of film and the solution, right, that had those colors pop in a more realistic way. I think about um, how some of these AI programs or some of these like sort of um, um image sensing or image like um image recognition um can't recognize different faces. I mean, we, yeah. my point is we play these biases already baked in to yeah. the technology, you know, and it just worries me when eventually when law enforcement in the United States decides that they're going to like literally minority report, which again is a cautionary tale, dog. I just and you're not that. supposed <laughs> to want to do that shit, man. It's not a blueprint. Yeah, it's yes. not a blueprint. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Shocking. Um, so I, many I bad think... things happened to Tom Cruise in that movie. Come on, guys. <laughs> he, did, he, did. he had to take his eyes out. Like, come on, man. Oh, my come God. <laughs> when you talk about the, the codex stuff in the photos, it brings to mind how, like, in New Zealand as well, you know, the Maori people had these, like, beautiful face tattoos, right? And when the they would take a photo of them, however it worked, like it would not pick up the fact that they had face tattoos and the way that the photo would come out was the person's face, but without the tattoo. That's so Mm, scary. And so so it it, like shaped the representation of 
Maori people because you know you take photos of them, you present these photos or whatever, and always the photos are without um, the moko or I believe it's called the the face mm. tattoo, right? Yeah, it's it's wild just to see how those things can be kind of built into the systems. But I think to pick up on the broader points that you've been talking about around journalism and around kind of you know film, television, broader kind of creative works in these AIs. For me, it often comes back to the question around like what can be picked up by capitalism like what can a a price be attached to and what is kind of difficult for the capitalist system to actually kind of quantify so like when you're thinking about you know work that goes into an article and what people get from that or if you think about like a film and you know kind of the very unquantifiable kind of feelings that people have when they kind of experience something that really that really hits them like Marx of course would say it's the kind of exchange value you can kind of pick up certain things and it seems like these people who are really driven to push this AI are like how can we create more art that is able to be quantifiable even if it's total garbage because then we know we can sell it for something even if we're churning out like all these NFTs or all these AI you know pictures that are you know, coming out of mid journey or stable diffusion or, you know, whatever else they're going to do in the future. Um, in that way, it's totally not a like, surprise at all that Disney yeah. has really embraced stable diffusion mm-hmm. in terms of creating yeah. artwork and promotional materials for their shows. Yeah. That Loki season two poster that was clearly made with stable diffusion, it yeah. stuck out like a sore thumb. And it's also just like, those movies, the Disney Marvel machine in particular, it is so clear it's about the numbers and not about the art yeah. itself. Just yeah. in every way it's produced and what it feels like to watch them. Yeah. You, you know what I was thinking when you said that, Gita? Um, I don't know what obscure, probably well-known French philosopher Marx has said this or talks about this, but um, uh, probably a lot of cultural theorists do. But it's almost like this de-eroticization, right, of art. And when I say de-eroticization, I'm not talking about sex, right? I'm talking about the mm-hmm. idea that, like, Art should be seductive, right? It shouldn't be something that's like kind of packaged like piecemeal and slapped on with a sticker and handed to you with an expiration date. You know what I mean? It should be something that like actually kind of draws you in, you know? And I mean, I think that Marvel, Disney, you know, all these like um, these, um, you know, media conglomerates. I mean, of course, we saw this with the writer strike, of course, right? Even though they're saying, well, we're going to wait until the technology really matures, <laughs> right, to do so. It's like, no, dude, wait, you already have plans, like whether it's capturing the likeness of an actor yes. to reproduce them in AI, whether it's cutting writers out. Well, you're not cutting writers out the process completely because like you were saying, Gita, they're minders. What they'll do is they'll edit, right, and tweak mm-hmm. the plot a, a little bit. And it's just like, it's, it's, I mean, I was arguing with somebody, I think, on Twitter and I was like, dude, you won't recognize the difference, right, when they start doing the AI. I mean, we saw this with the Secret Invasion, right, intro, right, the, with Samuel Jackson, that other Marvel yeah. special. And it, watching it, you know, especially someone who posts art on my Twitter, I it gives me, like, an uncanny visceral, like, the Uncanny Valley visceral reaction. Like, almost feel nauseous. And it pisses me off so much because I see... Sometimes and I block these people all the time. They'll comment in my they'll comment like, oh well, you posted John Berkey, because John Berkey's art style already looks it almost looks like AI before AI. It's very impressionist, right? And people were like, Oh, uh, in the style of John Berkey. And it's uncanny how like similar it is, but also how it's not, right? That gap, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. There's a felt- I kind of wonder. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Oh, it just feels like like a, a- you can feel the lack of a human and it's not, it's, I've been so much more woo about creativity since I've had to force myself to really think myself, mm-hmm. think about how I create things. And it's just like, like, there's just this little thing, like this feeling of humanity and you can feel it when it's lacking. You really can. Yeah. That's all. Mm-hmm. 
I was just going to say, like, I feel like the the folks who are working on these AI systems are like really hoping that they can reduce art and music and whatever it is that they're trying to create with these AI systems into what can be quantified and input into this algorithm, this machine that they're creating. Mm. But I feel like and, and I feel like their hope really is that they can also shift public perception to value those very same things because then you can maximize the sort of capitalist extraction of whatever these AIs are creating. But I feel like there is going to be this issue where where people can tell, right? People can yeah. read something and say, that sounds AI written, you know, that sounds yeah. AI generated. And if you're a writer and someone asks you if 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 you publish if something you publish is AI, that's like offensive, right? Because you, <laughs> then you feel like do I sound like that? You know, that's do I sound like a robot? Thing. Am I a robot? Yeah, exactly. yeah. I think I am, but am I that like, bad? <laughs> like marketing copy stat writing style that AI seems to have. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I wonder um, to what extent there will be this like clash where where people start mm. to suddenly, you know, actually sort of push back on this this AI uh style that is sort of coming out because i feel really like what's already happening to some extent where where people will mm. see an image and it looks really ai generated and they're yeah. like eh, you know that doesn't do it for me um which is obviously not what the people behind these companies want they want to you know approximate things that people will buy but you know i wonder if they're going to run into the fact that like well real humans actually like real human things and that's not something you can just change because it's better for your business absolutely I I think I want to step in here around real human things because I did want to pivot us to a different topic. You know, we mentioned earlier in the discussion for all mankind, which is this Apple TV plus television show. And, you know, I kind of wanted to to put it on the table for us to talk about not just the show itself, but Mm -hmm. this idea that like, you know, this question of like how we think about the future and how kind of fiction and these kind of stories and, and media and whatnot you know, shapes or or can potentially open the way that we think about the future. Because I feel like one of the things about this show, for me, it's it's in its like third or fourth season. Now, mm-hmm. I think it's the fourth season. Fourth season, um, yeah. Fourth, yeah. And, you know, the general plot for people who haven't, uh, who haven't watched it is the Soviet Union gets to the moon before the United States. And then that kind of propels this much longer space race, um, you know, if only seasons. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> where through the seasons, like they get to Mars and all this kind of stuff. And for me, like there's this there's this kind of divide where I see these people in space. I see like this kind of long standing cooperation between like fictional cooperation between the United States, the Soviet Union, like North Korea, like all these other nations that are like slowly kind of getting involved in this this kind of process. And it seems like, you know, it seems quite utopian and especially attractive in the moment, I think, politically that we are right now in our real world. But then there's also the kind of question of like, I don't think we can actually live on Mars in that way. And like, I'm skeptical of that. Well, we don't, we can. Of it. And so like, there's, there's this divide where I'm like, I find it very hopeful but also, like, this is not the future I, w- I would think that we can achieve either. And I don't know what to make of that kind of divide, but I love the show. I think 
I haven't watched this current season, so mm-hmm. I don't know what's happening in, t- in the 2000s, what needle drops they're going to have at the end of the season to indicate the <laughs> Does 9 11 happen? Like, yeah, you know, I know. Birdman exactly. hand robe? Like, I don't I, I, I think, I think, <laughs> I think it's in 2003, and I don't remember seeing 9 11. No, 9 11. No, basically, it's like the whatever space, whatever the, it was, I guess it was the Johnson Space Center. Um, yeah. That oh, bombing right. in the third season was kind of the Oklahoma City bombing, and I think yeah. it was supposed to kind of be like, anyway, Gita, go ahead. I don't yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's fascinating how they reinvented Don't Ask, Don't Tell also in the third season. Like, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the show is just on some other shit sometimes um but i i i am actually up to date on the other futurist science fiction show on apple tv plus which is foundation mm, and yeah, that is like that a much more long view on what the future and the possibilities of the future could be and the long view in that show is that we will keep recreating empire as we continue moving out into space and there is nothing that will be able to stop us, we'll create recreate empire in such a way that we have an eternal emperor, just one white cis man that is born Joe and Biden? born. Yeah, no, he's basically <laughs> Lee Pace is playing sexy Joe Biden in this show. It's, I'm not afraid to say that. <laughs> man, if that's what Joe Biden looked like, I'd be into it. going to have a cheeks out knife fight anytime soon. Like, I don't know. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's, that feels so much more likely to me than this utopian vision of the future. It It is so much in the Star Trek mode of utopian optimism, which mm-hmm. appeals to me a lot, right? Like I am a star. David and I watch Star Trek basically every single oh, da- day. Oh, David and I have talked about it in the DM. We, 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 oh, yeah. <laughs> we lost yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so much Trek. I've, he's genuinely changed my life for the better. Although my dad was always a Next Generation fan, whatever. Anyway. DS9, me, uh, just gotta say DS9 is the best Star Trek. Give a black yeah, captain just finishing it up on the space station. Oh, it's so it's good. Cool. The ending is awesome. really awesome. good. Also, oh, definitely I, watch I mean, like Contact the final season right now, so no spoilers. No spoilers. No spoilers. <laughs> okay. I wanted to say real quick, I think, I think what you're that kind of tension that your experience uh, experiences Paris is something that I've experienced with the show. It's a it's the perfect hauntological show. And if anyone knows hauntology, it's sort of the haunting of lost futures or what may have been or what can still be, right? And I mean it's the same way that the Democratic Party and the liberal establishment is haunted by the New Deal or haunted by the civil rights movement or haunted by not the specter of communism, but by the disappearance of the specter of communism. I don't know if that makes any sense. People should read Mark yeah. Fisher, Ghost of My Life. He talks about hauntology in this. But I love For All Mankind because it's a hauntological show, right? It presents this lost future to you, right? What could have been. But I think like you were talking about, Gita, it still replicates and reproduces, right? The same sort of mechanisms, right, that mm-hmm. happen on Earth. I mean, in the second season, right? No spoilers, but... Well, this is probably a spoiler. You should watch the show <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you want to listen to this. But now, like, if you haven't, if you haven't, <laughs> stop this and go watch all four seasons, get caught up, and then come back. But like, yeah. not, we were talking about Molly guns. drops out right now. <laughs> <Molly> drops, <laughs> but, but like, you know, I mean, we re, we recreate territorialism in space, right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, we split up the moon, you know, and. The one caveat, I was telling you this, Paris, the one caveat that I do like about the show, because Ronald D. Moore is a showrunner, creator, and um, uh, uh, he also did uh, TNG, thinks he did some DS9. Um, the liberal caveat is that the world might have been a better place in a lot of ways, and sure, more complicated if the Soviet Union still existed, right? Because the idea is that, all right, even if the Soviet Union sends a woman to Mars, right, not because they actually believe in any of the sort of tenets of like Marxist feminism, right, or any of that, but even if they sent a woman to the Mars the same way that they would push propaganda, right, to the United States, right, to Americans about um, our racial conflict, right, in the United States, even if they did it to antagonize America, it still in the show pushes the United States 
um, not only to uh, send a black woman, right, to the moon, but also the ERA, right, the Equal Rights Amendment, right? It gets mm-hmm. pushed through. And all these progressive things get pushed through. I mean, but yeah, again, though, as you said, Paris, I guess the, the, the tension there is that, like, I mean, and you were saying, Gita, that, like, you know, all these problems that we deal with on Earth, we'll just reproduce them in space, you know, unless, you know, we develop a radically different society where, you know, the the, the basis of, you know, life and social progress isn't like, you know, to crush people yeah. into money, throw them into Moloch's gaping mall for a buck, you know. Yeah, we need to all become Gundam new types. That's clearly the <laughs> yeah, <answer>. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I do think like for me, you know, some of the science fiction that has always kind of stood out to me is that kind of science fiction that I feel opens my mind to different possibilities that maybe I hadn't considered, right? And that's one of the reasons that like I absolutely adore Ursula K. Le Guin and yes. you know, yes. always Sam Yard Delaney as well. Totally. Yeah. 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 And you know, I, I feel like, again, like everything in those stories are not perfect or anything like that. But it's like, I don't know, I, I hadn't considered that society could be this way. Or yeah. it, it just, I, I think it it just helps you see things in a different light. And I feel like even though For All Mankind, again, like has its flaws and its faults, like I feel like it's another one of those kinds, kind of science fictional stories that allows you to say, wow, what, you know, what if something else had happened? and you know, things, things could be better than they are today. And it's not because like the Soviet Union had to go to the moon first sure. yeah. or yeah. whatever, yeah. but like there are many other paths that history can take. And it's like, I don't know, maybe it makes you, or makes me feel that it's not, it's not certain that like we're locked into this path that agreed. seems agreed. to be so dark right now. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. I think that's really, I think that's the point of science fiction, right? I mean, like, I mean, science fiction does a lot of different things. I'm not like, you know, I'm not claiming that it does this one thing, but I saw this tweet that really pissed me off. And the guy was like, you know, what's the, what's a, the prompt was, what's an academic opinion that, you know, would have people like, just like, what are you talking about? And he said, they think science fiction, actually, this is coming from someone who studies science fiction, apparently and teaches it or the history of science fiction, the history, uh, historiography, I guess, but um, science fiction. I, think I saw this tweet the other day. Yeah. Yo, I got <laughs> so fucking mad, man. Like I got really mad, like so mad that I was like, okay, let me not get banned again for like, you know, uh, telling someone. <laughs> anyway, right. It's like, you've you know, been banned a lot of times. Yeah. I've been banned, like, eight times, but it was like, dude, like yeah. science fiction is like, has been a net negative, right, um, for humanity because in Paris, you were talking about this earlier because it is inspired, right, all of these, the people that we were talking about, and we're going to talk about it in a little bit, right? But there's Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, or all these ghouls. It inspires them as we, but the thing is, is that one, as we know, they don't read this shit. Elon Musk a couple weeks ago thought that Blade Runner was the name of the character, right? Yeah. You know what I mean, he thought it was Rick Deckard's name was Blade Runner. So we know that he just read this shit. And secondly, <laughs> Science fiction, especially like if we're talking about like new wave science fiction, right? And science fiction um, that was created in science fiction media that was created after the atomic age, right? And after mm-hmm. we created the means to destroy ourselves. Science fiction has always been a critique, right? Or that kind of science fiction has been a critique, not just of new wave, but of society. You know, we could even talk about H.G. Wells, you know, and mm-hmm. War of the Worlds. That's a common used example. The fact that it was a criticism and exploration of the British Empire, right? I mean, as you said, Paris, I think that like, shows like this in science fiction in general i mean it does it's not necessarily about a future it's about a visionary present as jg ballard said or i mean you know if you want to look at william gibson right um this is a sentiment that he didn't exactly say but it's attributed to him um the future is already here it's just unevenly distributed you know 
Absolutely. I think that's really well put. I, someone in the in the chat, well, Michael says Silicon Valley based on the back cover <laughs> of the classics of science fiction. That would be a really good <laughs> Twitter account, yo. I mean, every because time I, I think about how Palantir is something Peter Thiel, that would be a great yeah. name for a company, right? Uh, Let's think about everything that Palantir like, represents. They just, they read these stories and don't understand them. Yeah. And they see situations in which one person has a lot and they think i'd like to be in that situation please <laughs> let me recreate it <laughs> yeah yeah one of the like- crowning moments for me on twitter was when william gibson responded to a tweet from web3 is going just great about a company named wintermute there's a crypto <laughs> company called wintermute and he's like <laughs> they were completely missing the point of my story here. <laughs> yeah that's, pretty, that's pretty like, awesome. that is not that's the torment nexus you know <laughs> <laughs> Even though I will say William Gibson, up, I love him, but uh, he's he's pretty he's a he's a pretty big lib on on Twitter, but that's fine, yeah. whatever. It's like he he, he crazy. I mean, his whole cyberpunk is all about you know like gotta fight the system, man, and be a hacker, man. And then you know I'm just like, ah, oh, dude, like this is some milk toast shit, but I still love him. Yeah, I still it's love him. very Gen X brained, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's like someone anyone that has strong opinions about the Star Wars prequels and can Nate tell you how betrayed they feel. I I like I'm suspicious of your political <laughs> acumen at that point. I'm suspicious <laughs> if you like Star. No, I'm kidding. I'm a trekkie. I just have a whole beef with Star Wars. I know. I get it. Like I, I was originally a trekkie, and then there is something about the mythological fantasy arc of mm. Star Wars that does inspire hope. And like the idea that it's all like all of the good pe- characters are a part of a political rebellion. Wait, I can see how you can get there. Peter, right? what, what do you mean hope? You mean the fact that it's two different empires essentially that are constantly tugging yeah. war and people okay, are just part so of I'm, I'm, I'm an asshole. I'm, being an asshole. <laughs> I'm also one of those people that are like, okay, Star Wars is great, but the Jedi did everything wrong and they deserved everything that happened to them. They should have just let Anakin take his mom. Hold like, up. It's first of all, they're cops. And also, don't they have that thing in them, <laughs> Mitochlorian, that's basically like yeah. it, you it's 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 race they are practicing race science and they are slavers also and they are conscripting <laughs> child soldiers they are teaching all those younglings we're learning how to fight that's that's fucked up come on somebody somebody said in the comments that andor is the only star wars uh, property that they respect and i would agree that because of the class themes in andor again the, well there are class themes but more uh, like uh um themes of fighting back and fascism yeah. and whatnot you know um i did enjoy they- i did enjoy andor They took the idea of an empire and a rebellion from that empire very seriously in that show, which is all that I want from Star Wars, right? In Star Trek, a lot of these things have been resolved already. So we have to go back to like the 27th century or whatever to see any kind of human strife and see any kind of struggle, which I know makes early episodes of Next Generation like sometimes very confusing where they have to create conflict in a world where conflict no longer exists. You mean mean like the episode where they went to the planet full of black people? (laughs) <laughs> they were basically like literally the fourth yeah. episode with the most yeah. racist thing I've ever yeah. seen. And I almost stopped watching after that. I was like, okay, yeah. I'm going to power through because I trust like Sir Patrick Stewart. And yeah, no. I was, you know, I was, I was. When uh, you yeah, get to season yeah. three, every single episode is a banger of Next Generation. Yeah, At, like, really, it really, really there's they Ronald D. Moore came and he was like, I'm fucking all your shit up. <laughs> the, me- the measure of a man is the measure of a man oh, from so TNG. good. I mean, I don't want to get into Star Trek now, but uh, uh, everyone should check out Deep Space Nine and check out Far Beyond the yeah. Stars. If yes. you want an amazing piece of Afrofuturist media, that yes. episode is one of the finest it's 45 a, minutes of TV that I've ever seen. It's so good. That one has yeah. moved me, moved me very deeply. I love that. It's, it's a beautiful episode and a fantastic I feel like series. we've just been a part of a social experiment about how long can you put four nerds in a room before they start arguing about Star Wars? <laughs> 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 
to be fair, it only took like an hour and change just because we had other topics. But if we yeah, did, yeah, yeah. we probably would have done yeah. it. And we had to be pedantic about other things before it could be pedantic about <laughs> yeah. Star Wars and Star Trek. You're, you're forgetting that lightsabers are cool. They um, are cool. Yeah, that's the they thing. Are, yeah. The valid counter. When I saw John Boyega light up that lightsaber, they hooked me in one last time, and yeah. I got got just like John Boyega did. Ooh, so bad. Yeah. <laughs> that series. Oh my god. I I would say I was I was in Santiago just recently, and I was like walking around, you know, just on a Saturday afternoon or a Sunday or whatever it was. And I walked by the park and there were a bunch of dudes in the park having lightsaber battles. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, this is so beautiful. <laughs> it's awesome. Beautiful. Yeah. So I don't even sure. like Star Wars, but I'd be like, yo, can I get one, please? <laughs> I <would> yeah. Like, <laughs> can I please participate? Drop everything yeah. to go yeah. join them. <laughs> no, this is like straight up though. This is another, like, this is another technological issue I do think about a lot. When something about AI, you know, I already mentioned this earlier, where uh, AI is doing all the fun stuff that humans want to do and not all the unfun stuff that humans don't want to do, like our menial tasks for our boss. Well, I think about that too a lot in terms of we are constantly finding ways to turn our work activities into games mm. instead of playing games, which is something I've come, become increasingly convinced is something human beings actually do need once in a while. You need to play a game. Play is very fun. Imagination is very fun. And I think it's mentally healthy to use your imagination and will oh, make you more excited about the world. It was. It I, will, absolutely. Yeah, we should be going out into the park and having a lightsaber battle or pretending to be an elf. Like, you should be playing Dungeons and Dragons. All these things make your life better. Yeah. I want to be an elf like a... with a lightsaber. So. Yeah, I want to be a space elf, <laughs> man. Yeah, yeah, instead of Aaron's got a sci fi novelist. I have lightsaber. Wall. We're all taking notes. Tonight. I have a soul yeah. right here. I'm Can I tell you? I need people to peer pressure me into actually doing this idea, but I had an idea for a science fiction novel that I, I may write, may not. Uh, original idea, don't steal. The idea is that you read it and it reads like a hard fantasy, like George R. R. Martin type novel, but it's actually about like uh, Silicon Valley has broken itself off from California and turned into like a, a libertarian Reddit island. And they've just, <laughs> de- de- they've just re- reverted back to feudalism, essentially. And you have me a libertarian Reddit island. I want to read it. Like, yeah. I mean, I don't you know, pre-order. But do it in a way where it's like you don't like contextualize it in like yeah. a setting yet. So like people find out, wait, this is like not like in the dark ages. Like this actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I would like, I feel like the reveal happens like three chapters before the end of the story. And it comes <laughs> and it's like somebody's last name is Teal. And like that's it. Yeah. And you're like, wait a second. Wait a minute. Hold on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. Elon Nina, I can't wait to have you back on the show to talk about this book once you <laughs> And get it out okay, please, um, like every day, peer pressure me about this. I have I to. <laughs> I will. How's the book going? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, fantastic discussion. I will note, voting on worst person in tech just closed. Okay. Um, we are going to talk briefly about that. I'm going to see. I prepared some slides. Oh, look, it works. Fantastic. Okay. So you know, uh, let me see. So here it was our bracket. It'll be hard to see, I think, on the screen. Maybe it's easier if you make it a bigger, I don't know. Anyway, so it's been going on for a few days. We've narrowed it down from 32 ghouls to the final two who are Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos. Plenty of great contenders in here. It's it's very sad 
that's many of them can't make it to the final <laughs> two or just be winners, right? Um, th- this is very clear. I, I was, you know, there were some really close battles like Daniel Ek and Mark Benioff really kind of neck and neck. Uh, There's Daniel some Ek tough won. matchups in there. Yeah, totally. I'm seeing how many of these names I recognize. I'm like, okay, I recognize, yeah. I recognize You know, I'm impressed Zaslav made it as far as he did, but obviously yeah, he's too. going to lose to Jeff Bezos. But he is like running the wb discovery like it is a tech company which means poorly and destroying it (laughs) (laughs) he's probably the figure in there who's like most far away from being like a tech person you know much more in like the media industry than we consider tech but i was like people hate this dude from the strike and people know who he is so i know he's gonna do well and i was surprised i was surprised he did as well as he did but i was also happy to see it you know well i'll say this is an epic matchup because here we have uh two gentlemen who want to enslave your children or grandchildren on mars you know yeah i think this is you know i mean i think this is a pretty pretty fair matchup well one on mars and the other one in floating space colonies yes the orbit and he wants to turn earth into basically uh, a zoo essentially an arcology from the sims i'm so angry about it it's a sim city idea come on (laughs) (laughs) um so before we you know go through the final and and reveal the winner i'm wondering from all of you do you have a person you know we don't need to make it too long do you have a person who stands out as the worst person in tech this year for you i do want to shout out palmer lucky who didn't make it to the Mm. final matchup because uh he personally said he was so happy when waypoint was shut down and he's still a fucking loser (laughs) So, yeah, that's to you. You suck. Yeah. <laughs> I only wish his uh, impact wasn't so uh, incredibly evil. You know, you talk about Palantir and yeah. Peter Thiel, his company, you know, his current company, Andrewil, which is, you know, the the store, the flame of the West. Oh um, and he just sold, it was revealed, I think 404 revealed it actually, that the kind of plane drone to shoot down planes that he made was sold to the U.S. government. So great. great. Love it. Yeah. I'll see you in hell. <laughs> yeah. Molly, what about you? I personally was disappointed to see Mark Andreessen knocked out so early on. Um, yeah. Tough matchup in the second round against Elon Musk. So I get it. But Mark Andreessen, boy, I have a special place in my heart for that man, <laughs> especially yeah. after the Techno Optimist manifesto. That was I, truly I something. I definitely want Humpty Dumpty to have a great fall. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, no one put Humpty, Humpty Dumpty, Dumpty back together again. Um, <laughs> that, that's a good one. I'm also hating on Mark Andreessen in a lot this year. Yeah. Aaron, do you have anyone uh, who you want to call out? Not anyone on this list or anyone specifically, but um, we were talking about AI. We're talking about sort of yep. uh, replicating all of these social ills and all these, you know, injustices. And I've been seeing this ad on X. I hate that I'd like, Ugh. I was going to call it Twitter and then I don't know why I called it X. Fucking Twitter. <laughs> but um, I've been seeing these ads. Not I do it every spot. now and then too. I mean, it's just like a slip up, right? It's like a yeah. Freudian slip. But like I... I've been seeing these ads, I don't know if you guys have seen them, about using AI to undress people. And whoever yeah. made that shit, I think we should put that person in a medieval torture. Oh, device, to undress. You know I mean? Yeah, to undress yeah. people. I misheard yeah, yeah, you. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. People, what does that <laughs> mean? Yeah. Just send emails. Oh, yeah. But um, yeah, the, <laughs> whoever, whoever, concern. whoever's using AI to uh, perpetuate shit like that, like a um, uh-huh. really creepy, disgusting um, 
um, just to mean a complete sort of removal of any privacy or respect for anybody. That person, as I said, needs to be put in a medieval torture device and probably sent to the Mariana Trench. Anyone doing any shit like that with AI, it's already bad enough. Don't make it worse. You know what I mean? Don't make it any fucking worse. Just be yeah. cool, guys. Yeah, just be cool, <laughs> yeah. man. And don't be Why can't we it. all just embrace that as sort of a motto? Just be cool. <laughs> <laughs> just be cool. Exactly. I could not agree more. And I, I'm sure everyone listening agrees as well. Mm. So let's get into this. We have our final two, Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk, you know, came down to the rocket man. You know, they're both trying to blast off their penis rockets to try to show off to the world. Um, everyone hates them both, or most people do. You know, on the one hand, you have a cult that's still behind Elon Musk that really loves everything is at. On the other hand, you have these e-accel- uh, effective accelerationists who they are kind of you know, profit, you know, use the pseudonym Beth Jezos because, uh, you know, they, they just love this guy so much. You know, I, I would say going back to what we were saying earlier about the ketamine and Elon Musk, you know, looking like shit. And, and all this <laughs> thing. I got to say one kudos to Jeff Bezos is like, dude is ripped and seems to be having like a great time, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I will give him props for loving life, but I don't yeah. understand. Like, I just don't understand what kind of swag he has that he scores so much. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I don't get it either. And also, too, I just like, I, I, you know, I mean, no shame to anyone who's, um, you know, I've been losing my hair, actually. It just started growing back this year. But, um, yo, you think he had all that money, man, and he can't, like, not even get a toupee or put something on? But, like, you know, he, <laughs> he, looks, he, looks, he looks relatively better than Elon Musk. Elon Musk looks like a beached, uh, a beached uh, cetacean, you know? So. Yeah. I, I think Elon's, you know, two hair hair transplants are even kind of showing at this point. Well. <laughs> like, he needs a third, I think, you know? I have to say, <laughs> and, though, I am skeptical of the idea that any of these people are actually loving life and having a good time. I feel like most true. of these people are actually deeply, deeply miserable. Elon in particular but i i sort of wonder how how happy any of them really are <laughs> no they I, hate I feel like and they hate everyone yeah, <laughs> i feel like jeff is living life and to you show so? that <laughs> we need to go through you know i figured you know as a final right like these beauty pageants where people need to go through a series of like contests and stuff i feel i felt we need to put our finalists through some contests to see who was going to win right yeah, yeah. and so we started with um <laughs> swimsuit contest. jump scare man i mean yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That <laughs> no, Jeff is so built. What the hell? Yeah. <laughs> no, he looks like he looks like 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 barrel chest Superman. The way they used to draw him, you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. absolutely. I know exactly. What you mean. Triangle. <laughs> yeah, 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 comic yeah, number yeah. one. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then Elon Musk but you know, there. like I, I think I think it shows like Jeff is is doing well in in comparison to to Elon. Like Elon's struggling here. It, it was like these photos light. that got him to try Ozempic, right? He looks like 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 yo, you buy chicken in the package and it's raw. Yeah. <laughs> it's a fucking cutlet. Like, yeah, he looks like a chicken, a raw chicken cutlet. And man. all of these are some shit or whole foods, man. Come on, it dude. just to me like being unless you're Charlize there and literally being a white South African is just the most rizzless. It's the bottom of. Yeah. <laughs> Especially when you look oh like a beach whale, man. Yeah, that's yeah, it's not awful. Good. Yeah. Now we move from the swimsuit competition to oh. the costume contest. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I think that this is. I think Jeff Bezos is a grape uh, in this in this photo. What? <laughs> what is he supposed to be? Is that a plum or, uh, or maybe it's a plum? It's an apple. It seems like a fruit of some kind, but I'm yeah. not sure which one. It, it really looks like a struggle costume, but you know what? That's what <laughs> Halloween's for. Yeah. Uh, it's Bob Troy. It's Bob Troy. 
Yet again, Elon Musk loses for going on SNL to perform as a meme that is my friend making fun of him. <laughs> yeah. Wait, is that what he's doing? Yeah, he's yeah, doing yeah. The, the Arbo um, uh, Italian Elon Musk. That's exactly what <laughs> the mustache that he had. Anyway. It's, it's horrible. It's horrible. I would say like, Bezos wins this one. Oh, yeah. Bezos racking him up for the novel right. for the novelty of the costume. Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah, so you know it, it's I original. Mean, I would wear his costume for sure. Yeah, I feel I like wear, I've I seen wear. like a Williamsburg hipster wear that costume on Halloween. <laughs> I've you know? seen like feel like I've seen somebody wear that in Starbucks. You know? I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like just styling like that. Yeah, exactly. Now we move from back into style. Yeah, yeah. I have, actually, those look like the glasses I have, so that's why I'm partial. To <laughs> yeah. Now we move from the costume contest through to the eating contest, of course. Oh my god! Um, what What is that? He looks like he's about to swallow a sword. <laughs> yeah, yo. Or like maybe like or maybe like a shish kebab of potato chips. Like I can't tell. Yeah. <laughs> I can't tell. What that just is. viscerally upset by it. Yeah. <laughs> Can he do or, anything or, like a normal man? <laughs> or, or it might be a freeze frame of him vomiting. I'm not sure <laughs> what it is. It's yo. either going in or it's coming out. Yeah, we don't know which. Extremely linear. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> or like Jeff Bezos. I could say again, man. This man is eating a fucking iguana, man, in a in a spider. That's yeah. pretty. That's pretty adventurous. He's brother. eating all pretty of these. Cannibal. So essentially, yeah. also like, look at the lust That's in his true. eyes. What's happening in that yeah. bottom one on the oh left? My God. He's just <laughs> it a little bit. <laughs> yeah, he looks like he's rubbing it on his lips while he listens to someone talk to him. Like, Absolutely, you know. He's just like, this is like, this is his game. That's how he gets those women. <laughs> so, uh, of you course, for the listeners, one of my distant relatives. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's uh, Bezos eating an iguana, a cockroach, and cockroach, uh, a tarantula. Yeah. And Elon Musk is sticking a potato spiral, I believe that's called, <laughs> into his mouth uh, in a very, very awkward way. A South, white <laughs> South African having to interact with the American Midwest. This is what. Yeah. <laughs> it's like when those like politicians, you know, go do like yes. the Iowa caucus and stuff, and yes. like just make a total fool out of themselves. <laughs> yeah, they're like, I'm also human, you know. That's yeah, yeah. relatable. Yeah. <laughs> Romney in a grocery store, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I think Ron DeSantis just like yeah, trying to pretend too. he's not an alien in a human suit. <laughs> I know. <laughs> he tries so hard, and he just fails constantly. Smile. Yeah. Now we move from the um, eating contest through to the space battle, uh, oh, you know, man. where we have Jeff Bezos, who has, you know, grazed the edge, I guess. He's he's kind of gone up there and come down. He's not yeah, a suborbital flight. Not technically. Yeah. yeah. You know, wearing his cowboy hat, uh, popping yeah. a champagne bottle. Elon Musk sitting like an excited little, little, little kid. Has he been he will to not space? Go up. No, he won't. Okay, go up in, so in again, Bezos has to win this. Yeah. Yeah. Like, dude, you create. Listen, at least like people love to compare him again to Tony Stark or all these like the comic book industrialists. But like Tony Stark is Iron Man. He puts yeah. on the suit and goes he around and saves in the world. The suit and he got he flies around. <laughs> yeah, like he <laughs> can't even. I mean, it's like I, I wonder how much he'd be. Like he says that he's um going to uh. Uh, be a human trial of his a uh, neuralink, you know. But I don't fucking. God, buy I it. hope so. I, I hope I so. Hope but I, don't up. <laughs> I mean, you know what, man? You should go ahead. Like, let me see. Um, you know how quickly that kills you. You know. I think Bezos loses points for the cowboy hat. That was a yep. pretty awkward <laughs> yeah. moment. But yeah. I do think you should have had a cowboy hat versus cowboy hat matchup because oh. that one 
of Elon wearing that huge cowboy hat when he went yeah. to like the Mexican border or something like that. Yeah. that was and wearing horrible. it backwards. And wearing it backwards. And when he went to go play. Like, yeah. How do you wear like a cowboy hat? I don't even know yeah. you can wear a cowboy hat backwards, bro. Maybe he assumed yeah. that like, well, if you wear a baseball cap backwards, it's cooler. So if I wear my cowboy <laughs> hat <laughs> that That feels like an Elon Musk thought pattern, you know? <laughs> it really does. So these are our two finalists, you know, some of the richest men, some of the most powerful men in the world came down to these two. I'll remember people last year came down to Elon Musk and Peter Thiel. And Thiel took it by a very, very slim margin of, mm. I think it was like a few votes uh, at the end. Wow. Now I will say, I've seen the results. I'm about to tell you what they are. You will not be surprised to hear, I think, that the results are much more definitive this time around, given the contenders and given the past year. Um, so our winner of worst person in tech 2023 is none other than Elon Musk. Of course. Uh, yep, there he is. <laughs> Got it. Uh, he had 84.1% of the votes compared to 159 for Jeff Bezos. So it really kind of blew him out of the water. We only wish that we could give Elon Musk a one-way ticket to the sun uh, so we could never hear from him again. <laughs> you, you, once again, he can be, uh, he can, um, be the, uh, the test subject for his ventures, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. As you he know, should be. There's a new he should be the monkey getting the Neuralink in his head. Optimistic science Mars. fiction. Neil yeah. Stevenson writes him dying in space in Seven Eves. And I just wish that would come true. Nice. Yeah, yeah. He's like a much more empathetic, thinking, feeling human being in Neil Stevenson's novel. And I wish that he would die for the rest of us. That would be, I don't like cheering on death, but I will celebrate his. Hey, hey, look, look, look. What I'll say is that, look, I'll put it this way, is that I think it's perfect that he won for this year because it's not just, you know, Twitter and takeover of X, which um, I think for a lot of people, you know, that definitely pissed them off. But I think that his uh, increasingly... I don't even say incendiary. He's a fascist, right? He's increasingly yeah. fascistic, transphobic, racist. I mean, straight up great replacement theory yeah. shit. We're talking about like, you know what I mean? We're talking about like Turner Diaries type of shit, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that he is emblematic of the dark, and I'm going to be pessimistic, but this really dark tech dystopia that's also kind of mingled in with nationalism and racism yeah. and xenophobia that is barreling towards it. So I don't, again, I think that, I think Paris, that you saying that, you know, we're talking about mankind and talking about alternatives, you know, and I think that's important to remember that, but I can totally understand why Elon Musk wants as a barrier to that alternative world that we would hope for. Right. Totally. And I think, you know, to pick up on what you're saying there, I think it does show us the past year in particular, why all of the praise that was heaped on him for so long was such a mistake, right? And has really put us in this position where now we are having to try to reckon with the beast, the monster that we have created, right? We, we not only have this man who, you know, was positioned as the future and whatever he said was the future was supposed to be our collective future and governments and, you know, investors and all that stuff rallied around it and tried to make it happen. But now we have this guy who, really controls key infrastructures in our lives that have been privatized, that have been given over by governments to him. You know, rocket launches, a lot of governments now and a lot of companies are just stuck with SpaceX because there's really no reasonable alternative to what they can do. And that gives him immense power, 
right? Even the EU, which is trying to develop their own alternative, it just had to push it back even further. Um, Starlink, of course, this internet satellite communications system that now not only allows Elon Musk to choose where it's going to be rolled out, you know, where it's going to be used. We saw that most notably in Ukraine, where he turned it off near Crimea and in eastern Ukraine after speaking to Russian officials. And more recently, when he suggested that maybe humanitarian organizations in Gaza could get access and then immediately had that shut down by the Israeli government after, you know, he was accused of anti-Semitism, right? Rightfully so, let's be clear. Um, But again, you know, this is a Zionist government deciding whether the people they are oppressing should have access to internet services and Elon Musk allowing that to happen. And then, of course, what we see closer to home, where there's this attempt to make this transition toward electric vehicles, we can debate, you know, whether that's the total right policy. But Elon Musk does control the dominant electric vehicle charging infrastructure. And now you have all of these other automakers that are announcing they are going to adopt Elon Musk's standard, which is going to give him even more power over all of this. And Mm -hmm. so I think it sets us up, like I think it shows us that this man, even as he's being radicalized, even as he's going further to the far right, even as he's embracing transphobia, racism, anti-Semitism, all these sorts of things, he has an immense amount of power and will not be dislodged easily. Um, and our governments have set it up, set us up in this way where there's this immense risk that they've now created for us. And I think we are going to have to figure out how we address that problem, not just with all these other tech billionaires, which you know is, is even more, but even just with Elon Musk specifically. And I think that that's a real threat and something to really be concerned about. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I just, I just want to add to that. I mean, like everything Manuel said, and I just want to add, it's like, you know, I was thinking of like figures like, um, like a Henry Ford or a Howard Hughes, you know, and I mean, I'm not saying that these uh, industrialists were, I'm not, you know, I'm not uh, subscribing to great man theory. Right. <laughs> but like, you know, I feel like Elon Musk, like very much looks at himself in that vein. I don't know if that's mm-hmm. those specific figures. Right. But this idea that, as you said, Paris, like, you know, there are governments that are colluding with him. Right. And that are yeah. letting him um, that are using his technology and sort of he has this pivotal role, not just in technology, but politics, you know and shaping political discourse. I mean, this just like, that's way too much power in the hands of one sociopath, right? A hundred percent. Yeah, for me, it's enough if he is like completely taken over and especially like essentially de facto privatized America's like mm. uh, outer space industry, like a yeah. rocket building, et cetera, et cetera. That's really disturbing. That's yeah. And that's one industry that he's been incredibly destructive to. But to think about <clears throat> all the innovation going on in electric cars, which is just something that's really necessary, like a hundred percent necessary for us to continue to use cars, which debatable for necessary for our future, <laughs> but you know, I'm not a big car fan, but like, that's obviously the move, the wave that's going on. You know, he's in charge of that also. And then he took control of what is genuinely a major information and communications hub, which is Twitter. It's not like not everyone is on Twitter, but a lot of very specific groupings of people are on Twitter. People that control the flow of news and information. And that's why he wanted it because he wanted to be in control of that. And he is like one ketamine addicted loser. And that's so terrifying. Like the ketamine stuff is funny, but it is also terrifying, right? He is so similar in mood and attitude and temperament to Kanye West. And we are not letting Kanye be in, be in charge of anything right exactly, now. Exactly. You exactly. Exactly. So we shouldn't let this guy, you, you know, it's, it's so right. And, you know, I was thinking too, um, I mean, this is, 
probably the the least i mean i wouldn't say this is the least detrimental thing not to astronomers right but like even the fact that like his technology is having like a visible impact right like with these three the starlink satellites there have been um, um complaints right by astronomers because like he's like blocking out like the night sky right these satellites yeah. are actually like yeah somebody yeah we're polluting the night sky like we're seeing these trails and stuff and i mean i know that's like you know, there's there's examples of the slave labor, right, being used to uh, uh, for, yep. uh, for for batteries for electric uh, yep, car the extreme batteries. Extreme racism in every yeah. Tesla factory. Exactly, and exactly, and but I mean, even the fact that as somebody who likes to look up at the stars, I don't want to look up, and especially where I live, right? Because I live where I live in Atlanta, like there's less light pollution. I don't want to have to look up at that, or anyone to have to look up at that and have like this blemish, right? Like this mm-hmm. man who is a true blight, right, on humanity to also have that in space right in like the natural world and environment i mean it's just i don't know it just feels indicative right of like wow this man is like blotting out the stars you know that mm-hmm. seems like me- that seems like metaphorical right if that was in a science fiction story i'd be like that's a bit too on the nose <laughs> yeah. <laughs> part of me part of me does want kessler syndrome to happen where you know the satellites collide and then creates all this space junk so that a gravity else situation really go up yeah. yeah yeah exactly just to like kill spacex and his like plan so we can focus on earth and not have to really talk about space so much like well, well i mean like you know i think that um in order for them to keep up making these satellites, like they're going to have to keep making more of them. And I mean, at one yep. point, at some point, it's not, it's not, it's just not um, due to Elon Musk, right? There are a lot of telecommunications. I mean, this is how we use, this is yep. what we're, how we're doing this right now, but we might get to a point where we might not even be able to like safely leave orbit. You know what I mean? Because there's so much shit up there. And um, yeah, this is a guy facilitating that, you know, and adding to that yep. problem among the other um, um, dystopian fascist things that he's doing. Any thoughts, Molly? Yeah, I was just thinking, like, I I really wonder how things are going to end when it comes to Elon Musk. Like, there is some end to the Elon Musk story. And I'm curious if it will be, you know, people realizing that this one man is in charge of far too many things and and forcing some sort of, you know, breakdown or breakup of, of his power system. That seems very optimistic on my part that that would actually come to pass. The other alternative is like we we keep seeing these like mini spirals where Elon is just like spiraling out of control. And every time I'm like, is this the one? You know, is this the one where he finally completely disintegrates and, you know, everything falls apart? And it never is, but they're getting weirder and weirder and, and worse and worse. And so I'm just really curious, like what the final Elon spiral is going to be and also what the out, you know, what the sort of external effects of that will be. Because they're they're very weird, but so far they've been like relatively harmless. It's just like watching yeah. him have these mm-hmm. little breakdowns, and I'm I'm yeah. sort of curious, you know, ultimately yeah. what will be the end of Elon mm-hmm. Musk? Mm-hmm. You know, with Ye, it, the anti-Semitism was enough, right? Where yeah. that's the only model yeah. of like Kanye. I think about David and I talk about this way too much, but we were big music fans yeah. in a certain era where Kanye West was extremely popular. So many of these songs soundtrack many of my memories, mm-hmm. and. Ye was like inescapable in the world of entertainment in a very similar way, but it was divorcing Kim and then the anti-Semitism stuff. And that was enough for people to drop him. But I guess you can see the gulf in power between the world of celebrity and the world of tech here. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Where it's just, yeah, it seems like every time Elon does something that's like totally completely beyond the pale i'm like yes this is gonna be it and then it's like oh no that wasn't that people yeah. didn't even blink when he did that yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like, like go ahead, i feel like the big difference is that 
with yay there were not as many people who were like financially dependent on mm-hmm. yeah. his yeah. continuation whereas yeah. with yeah. elon musk there's so many people invested in tesla which is highly overvalued right now yep. spacex mm-hmm. these other companies that yeah. if elon musk goes down all of their investments are going with it and yeah, that's no, why uh, even though they can see like the problems they're trying to keep him like propped up as long yeah. as they can no, yeah. Adidas and Balenciaga are already luxury brands that have a long history and they just don't need Kanye. But yeah. all these companies are built around the idea that Elon Musk is a genius and he's the only person who can run them. Well, I mean, it's like it's OK if like Henry Ford is a little bit anti-Semitic, right? Like we don't really care about that, right? Yeah. We care about like his money and his infrastructure and what he's able to do for the American. I mean, all of this bullshit. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's just, just too tied in to like um, the tech world and also politics, right? Yeah, yeah, it's like absolutely. the too big to fail of the human world. You know, he's exactly. he's too so scary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We got to be like uh, the little Davids with our with our uh, slingshots, yep. you know, and you know, take down this <laughs> Goliath. You know what I mean? That's what we got to do. I love it. I love it. Um, so you know, we're gonna start wrapping up. I'm wondering, you know, we talked about what was the biggest thing that uh, you know really stood out to you in 2023. I wonder quickly, you know, we're heading into 2024. Obviously, these people are not going anywhere, nor is this industry. What are you looking for? What are you kind of watching into the next year? Into the next year as we uh, head into it. I'll go first because mine is just yeah. like you know, just not a, it's not anything much. But um, as I said, mentioned before, we're supposed to go back to the moon in 2025. So um, yeah. you know, this year I'm just sort of excited to see what sort of um, space programs, whether it's the Chinese space program, whether it's India space program, whether it's NASA, right? What they're going to do. And I mean, you know, the anti-capitalist in me, you know, is uh, obviously very wary of the private space industry, but I mean, there are some pretty cool cool things going on in the private space industry, right? So I'm just kind of excited for, uh, I guess to be pessimistic, but I'm quite excited for all of my uh, dreams about space colonization, Uh, all these dreams that I know aren't going to be true to be shattered. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) <laughs> to just see what what little steps we're going to take. You know what I mean? I'm kind of excited about that uh, for Space News. You know? Molly? Yeah, I'll go. Um, I'm really interested to see what happens to social media in the next year. I feel like 2023 was the year of sort of fragmentation where people finally, you know, with Twitter getting bought out and everything sort of getting worse on Facebook and all that, you know, there are all these new social media places, some of which are federated, some of which are really experimental and everyone's in like a different place or several places. And I'm curious whether 2024 will be more of like a recongealing of social media Mm. or if something new will come out onto the field or if people will decide that maybe social media doesn't matter that much and they'll go do something else. I don't know what's going to happen. Maybe we'll touch grass finally. This year of touching grass. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Yeah. I think no one's touching grass and everyone's just watching Molly White on TikTok. (laughs) (laughs) well that's acceptable that's more than yeah you can go watch me touch grass on tiktok (laughs) yeah Yeah. touch grass while watching molly on tiktok touch grass with your dog and we'll all be into that (laughs) there you go that's true atlas is really the star of the show yeah Um, but yeah i'm I'm really curious where that's gonna go because I, i feel like social media we all like to dunk on it we all like to rag on it we all like to talk about how social media is like the worst thing that's ever happened but I also think there's a lot of good that comes out of social media and a lot of value in social media. And so watching how that develops and, you know, seeing the unseating of one of the more powerful social media brands in Twitter and what has been happening to it under Musk's control, I think 
sort of has created a gap in the space. And I would love to see something good fill that gap and and not something that's sort of corrosive in the way that Twitter sort of became and, and certainly has become these days. Uh, so I think that'll be really interesting. And then, you know, from my own perspective and what I like to focus on, I'm also watching the crypto world really closely, obviously. Uh, people are already <laughs> celebrating the next bull run because Bitcoin prices are up yeah. a little bit. And <laughs> it's weird to watch. I don't know. Sorry, but I just feel like they have just memories of goldfish. You know what I mean? Like, I don't understand. Yeah. Like, like, <laughs> well, it's been really weird to watch people go from like full on crypto winter sort of despondence to the it's like they've just gone from like zero to 60 on now. It's like the euphoria that we were seeing at the like highs of 2021. And I got told to have fun staying poor. And I was like, oh, my God, back. <laughs> it's back. Uh, <laughs> I, so, I got a tweet the other day that there's been a big ape heist. And I was like, Oh my god, yes. I mean, 2021. Oh, apes are gone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Going on about apes. Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah. The <laughs> apes are still around. So yeah, I'm really curious to watch what's gonna happen in the crypto world because people are forecasting this huge bull run. And if it does happen, that's gonna be fascinating. If it doesn't happen, that is also gonna be fascinating. So like I'm here for the ride either way. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Me, I'm Gita. I'm always thinking yeah. about things. But uh, for me, I'm... You're always Gita, and we can rely on that. <laughs> you. Yeah. Can. Um, I'm thinking about the fallout of the two strikes in the entertainment industry and the upcoming renegotiation, contract negotiation for animation workers and yeah. for casting for, and for crew workers yep. that are, are coming up in the next couple of SCII, years. Yeah, it's a union. Yeah. Yeah. Animation, I think, is upcoming very soon. So animation, the workers I've speak to, spoken to in animation have all told me that a lot of the horrible things that have happened in writing and acting in Hollywood happened to them first. And their protections are a lot weaker in their contract. Mm. So this might actually be a pretty rough struggle, especially considering, you know, there's only a few studios that in America where that really employ animation workers and give them careers. And we're talking about like Nickelodeon and Cartoon Network. And one of those two studios is a WB Discovery property. And it's I'm very, very curious about what is going to happen and what that means to the American animation industry, especially in a time where a Miyazaki movie can beat a new Disney film in the box office. Mm. We are have entered the global village in a way where it just happened where I and I wasn't even paying attention. But now people just have no qualms about Godzilla minus one. They were going to have a one week uh, runtime in America. And now it's out indefinitely in theaters, which is absolutely wild. People are more into it than the previous Marvel movie. So what is going to happen in the entertainment industry? How is it going to be revolutionized by people like David Zaslav running these companies? Not like they are like shepherds of art, but ruthless CEOs of a tech company that has a tech product. And I think it will be as big of a change in how we consume entertainment and how it's made as streaming was in terms of how um, every episode... The New Girl, all the seasons have 24 episodes. Can you remember the last time you watched a 24-episode television show? Star Trek. Star Trek was it, Star man. Trek. Yeah. Like, yeah. half of the season would be would be garbage, and the other half would be some of the most amazing shit I've ever seen. And now Absolutely. it's like... Somebody had mentioned Discovery, which, I have to say, Discovery... Um, um, did a little bit of hagiography of Musk, and that aged very, very poorly. But I mean, <laughs> yeah. there are like ten episodes a season. I mean, it's like you know, I it's it's instantly forgettable. So yeah, I'm I'm interested in in, in that sort of um in that as well, Gita. 
Yeah, yeah. You know, it's the strike really made clear how poor the labor protections are for writers and why that you, like many shows that you say everyone say it's like are bad, like why they are so bad because mm. you don't have real writers rooms anymore because you can't make a career in this industry anymore. And even if you do, you're no longer writing until something gets into put into syndication and you can't get residuals from being played on television because of the streaming model. Mm. It was so fascinating to see Netflix actually release numbers with a whole bunch of caveats right like we still can't trust them because we don't have the raw data but it's fascinating to see that actually begin to happen as viewers realize also that they're being cheated in some way you know i think this stuff with people being really really mad that looney tunes episodes are leaving wb discovery it helps people understand exactly how much control that they have over uh, what we consume and what we use in, in our entertainment in our leisure time and how little control we have um, one thing I have to say about that also is my colleague Luke Plunkett over at Aftermath wrote a great blog called There is No Piracy Without Ownership. So just mm. think about that, definitely, about what ownership means and what it means to steal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and also, too, you know, like like um, physical media, man, I've been more of a kind of proponent of acquiring physical media. Like I was talking about Serial Experiments Lane. I want to get the D yep. of the Blu-ray. Yep. I mean, just because, like, at the end of the day... You know, these uh, these media conglomerates, they unfortunately they own right this media and they can decide if they want to just take it off their streaming platform or whether they want to like, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, I would tell people like or there's someone, you know, someone had the pirate flag in there, you know, (laughs) the uh, the skull and bones. You know, if you're uh, feeling adventurous, too, you know, that's another route. Get a VPN. It's easy. Uh, You know, cheap these days. You know, it it happens in so-called low culture before it happens anywhere else. I think that's why you see animation workers so nervous about what's going to happen in the next contract negotiation. They're a lot of them are kind of ready to strike already. They they don't feel like negotiations are going to go well based on previous years. But also, you know, the the idea that entertainment is leased to you until it is removed from your device. Mm-hmm. PT for Sony and Konami. Right. That was a game made by an otter like game director, Hodeo Kojima, a a demo for a game. And when Kojima got fired, they physically like they removed the program that was downloaded off of people's devices. That's Mm. something that can happen to any digital piece of media that you have at any point in time. You don't own those things. You're leasing them, even if you Mm. even if you paid for them in some cases. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And I feel like we've seen so many of those types of stories over the years of people thinking that they own something because they bought something digital and then it gets pulled back. I bought the 4K Lord of the Rings Blu-rays recently because I was like, <laughs> I want to see them in the best you know, quality, right? I would say my two things that I'll be watching um, into next year, one of them kind of, actually, I think they both kind of relate to what we've been talking about. And the first is Starlink. There has been talk that Starlink might be going public in 2024, being carved off from SpaceX and, you know, being floated on public markets. I think that could be quite significant. And I think the other thing with Starlink is that we're seeing that the company has plans to start offering mobile phone service, not just um, satellite internet service. And I think that could be incredibly disruptive and, and concerning when you have them competing against national telecom companies but are operating on a global level. Um, and so I'm quite concerned about what that is going to mean. And there was just a story the other day that they had approval to move forward with tests on it. So I think that is something that should be stopped in its tracks um, before it goes anywhere. The other thing I'll be watching is data centers. I feel like one thing that the AI hype boom has brought into you know people's attention is that all of this computing, everything that we do online, all these AI tools 
require power, right? The computers are somewhere. It's not just in some magical cloud. They're in these data centers that get built around the world. And as we move toward these AI tools becoming more and more common, it requires more and more computing power in order to you know operate these things and that means more data centers need to be built in more places and that means more resources more energy more computing parts that need to go into it more mining to fuel all those things and i think that we're slowly seeing um greater opposition to these data centers you know Mm -hmm. some of it's been happening for a while but it's but it's growing and i think it does offer us on the one hand i'm interested in where that opposition is happening and why but on the other, I think it does give us the opportunity to have a kind of conversation around how much computing power we actually need. You know, what actually makes sense? Should we be allowing these companies that are incentivized to get us to use greater computing power because it works for their business models um, to really be driving uh, the direction of computation and of technology, really? Um, so those are things that I'll, I'm going to be quite interested in watching and paying attention to going forward. That, that's a really good point about the data centers, man, because I know I'd mentioned it briefly before, but um, and I guess this is speculative element, but, you know, I was like, yep. we don't have any more room on Earth, right? You know, space on Earth to build these data centers, like where next are they going to go, right? And there's already enough junk up there. So it's just like, again, I mean, if we're talking about like, uh, you know, things are finite, right? And, yeah. you know, we, I mean, this is why, you know, I think this is why we're all here and why you do the show as well. And while we all do what we do. Um, these resources need to be managed in a collective, more equitable way, you know. And I think, like, you can even say that about data, which we see as like limitless, right? We see as something with no end, right? So, um, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Now, I thank all of you for coming on our end of year show, for talking about the big things of the year, for talking about the sci-fi futures, for telling us what you'll be watching in the next year, and of course for going through um, the worst person in tech with us all. Now, I would say I have one more thing to let the listeners know about before we close. And it's kind of funny that we ended up talking a lot about Joanne's book at the beginning of the show because we're doing a year-end giveaway where, you know, those of you who are already uh, Patreon supporters, you can get in on this year-end giveaway, no problem. I'll be putting information on how to do that on Patreon probably tonight or tomorrow. I'd say more likely tomorrow. But if you are not currently a Patreon supporter, and I guess this is more for the people who'd be listening on the audio feed, um, if you join up to support the show by December 31st, then you'll be entered for a chance to win one of five copies of Joanne McNeil's Wrong Way, or five copies of my book, Road to Nowhere, and they will, of course, be signed by the authors. Um, So, you know, just a fun little perk for the end of the year, fun little contest for you to get in on where, you know, maybe you can get a copy of one of these books just for supporting the show and the work that goes into making it happen. So thanks to, you know, everyone watching. Thanks to all the listeners on the main feed for supporting the show, for listening, for making it possible to do all this. And of course, thank you so much to Aaron, Thanks to Molly and to Gita. Thanks to all three of you for coming on our end of year live stream to discuss all of this with us. It's been a blast. Thank you so much. Right. Thank you for having me. It was really fun. It was nice talking to you guys. Thanks. Yeah, yeah thanks thank for you. having us. Thank you so much for having me. I love being on. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. All right. See you, everybody. Bye, y'all. Bye. 
Gita Jackson is a co-founder of Aftermath. Molly White is the creator of Web3 is going just great. And Aaron Thorpe is a co-host of Everybody Loves Communism. Tech Won't Save Us is hosted by me, Paris Marks. Production is by Eric Wickham and transcripts are by Bridget Palou Fry. Tech Won't Save Us relies on the support of listeners like you to keep providing critical perspectives on the tech industry. You can join hundreds of other supporters by going to patreon.com slash tech won't save us and making a pledge of your own. Thanks for listening and make sure to come back next week.